Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Cork's 96FM. 1857 the number to call. The text to WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. I want to know your thoughts, your feelings, your musings. I want to hear your anger, or I want to hear that you're happy about what Michal Martin told us last evening. I know that people are physically and emotionally exhausted by this pandemic. It has placed enormous pressure on each of us individually and as a society. Businesses and workers are deeply worried about the future. And we are all completely fed up with the impositions on our lives. What I want to do this evening is set out in clear, straightforward terms where we are, what is going to happen over the next six weeks, and where we would like to go from there. He went on to tell us uh, what will happen effectively nothing until Easter Monday other than the reopening of schools with junior and senior infants, first and second class and leaving certs to go back next Monday and then later in March the rest of primary school and I think fifth year in secondary school and then after the Easter holidays on the 12th of April everybody will be back on school, back in school, based on the data. And pretty much nothing else is going to happen between now and Easter Monday. After Easter Monday, allowing for the numbers to be in the right place, we may be allowed to go back to outdoor gatherings. We may be allowed to get some sporting activities back. Construction may be allowed to reopen. At the moment, it's still as you were with construction for the next month. And the possibility of increasing the five kilometre limit on non-essential journeys. But none of that is coming our way until at least Easter Monday. He says he needs this and he wants this and the government needs this and they want this to be the last lockdown. I want to make sure that when we open something, it stays open. That is why we will continue to proceed carefully and cautiously keeping the situation under constant review and being informed at all stages by public health advice. I understand that some people will feel frustrated as you wait for your vaccine, but I ask you to be patient. There will be vaccines for everyone in the country who can be vaccinated. The vaccination program will completely change the landscape. That is what he keeps promising. Now, 
what we're being told is that these uh, announcements last evening with regard to vaccines, and I'll play them for you in a minute, came in the full knowledge of what AstraZeneca was saying, that it may not be able to deliver what it said it could deliver, even though this, I'm looking at my screen, there's a change in that even this morning. But allowing for it to be a bit cloudy with regard to AstraZeneca and allowing for the very strong possibility that we'll have the Johnson & Johnson vaccine coming to us in, in probably mid-April, that's the one-shot dose, plus the fact there'll be more Pfizer coming and more Moderna coming, and there's another one as well, is it called COVAX, so we could have five or six vaccines on the go here by May. He then went through the program as to who will be vaccinated and when. By the end of March, we will have administered 1.25 million doses. Then, depending on vaccines arriving as scheduled, we will administer, on average, more than 1 million doses per month during April, May and June. What that means in practical terms is that by the end of April, up to 40% of people over 18 years of age will have had their first dose. By the end of May, up to 64% will have had their first dose. And by the end of June, up to 82% of adults who can be vaccinated will have received at least one dose, and 55% to 60% will be fully vaccinated. And that's all very promising. Nothing in there, though, for when pubs when other shops like non-essential retail might open. None of that in there so far. And there was none of it in there at all because the most we're looking at into April anyway is some release on outdoor gatherings, depending on the data, some release on sport, the gradual reopening of construction. People have been contacting us for the last few days. Listen to me. They say I had a job half done on my house uh, in the middle of January or before Christmas even, and I can't get it finished. And when is it going to get finished? Well, let me tell you, my friends, I'm kind of in that position. I'm at the very end of a job on my house from last year. And there's a bit of snagging and a bit of, you know, last minute stuff to be done. And I have no idea when it's going to happen because it'll be into April before that can happen. Gradual reopening of construction. And the five kilometre limit is with us to stay for at least another month. And at the end of it all, now he didn't do what Leo used to do. He didn't quote popular culture. He didn't quote Game of Thrones or what was the other one? Was there a legally blonde quote in there at one point from, from, from Leo? And you know, I had no problem with those actually. We, we had that discussion on the program. Popular culture is popular culture. And if you want to quote from popular culture, I think it's better than quoting from Shakespeare or someone who's been dead for 300 years. But at the end of it, Michal looked out into the camera. Looking, I have to say, he looks like a man who's quite tired at the moment, does Michal Martin. Um, but he looked out into the camera and he kind of asked us to hang in there and bear with him. I know how hard this is. I know the toll that it is having on so many people's mental health and well-being. I know the devastation it, is, it has brought to so many businesses and livelihoods. But I also know that the end is now truly in sight. We have already shown what a remarkably resilient people we are. We have drawn on a deep, innate sense of community and solidarity to get us this far. That's why I know that we will get through this. Very philosophical, very hopeful at the end of it. The Twitter machine was kind of divided on the sincerity of it all. But 
I leave that up to you this morning. I, I don't know what you thought of that. If you want me, I'll share my thoughts. I'm also going to tell you that I am delighted and proud to be a Corkman because we are crushing this. We're getting there. We're getting down. We're getting lower and lower cases. You know me. I make no bones about it. I believe in zero community transmission. I believe in the drive for zero and I believe in holding at zero and I don't accept that it can't be done. We're getting there. And we could be zero in Cork. We could have zero community transmission in Cork faster than you think. I'll do that in a minute. But I want to go to the politics of it all. Uh, the newspapers, of course, this morning, full of it. I just picked them up as they're next to me on the desk here. The Daily Mirror says the joy of Vax, 8 out of 10, will have their first dose by the end of June. Again, the, the Irish Daily Mail, optimistic on the front page. Martin says, I know how hard... This is, although business is not entirely happy. Um, the Irish Daily Star calls it the arms race, which is <laughs> one of the best headlines of the day. 82% of adults to get their jab by June under a major ramping up of the rollout. The Irish Independent says that max vaccination is now our only way out of lockdowns. Echo has Martin. The end is in sight with a major ramping up of vaccines throughout. The examiner has again the Taoiseach under fire for a vague COVID strategy because a lot of business sector in particular not happy with the lack of precision, the lack of exact dates. Although the Taoiseach and indeed I think this morning, Leo Varadkar the Thonister has been saying we have to stick with the data rather than the dates and the Irish Times lockdown extended to April but end is in sight and the front page of the Irish Times has a very good box of main points I might return to that later on also online the journal has got a lot of detail this morning Christina Finn is their political correspondent Christina good morning how do you think he did last evening has he convinced people to hang in there I think it wasn't perhaps his best speech, but I think it, we're a long time in this that it's pretty tough to rehash those sort of motivational messages. I think it was pretty tough news to be delivering to people who were perhaps looking for uh, some bone to be thrown to them at this point that, that something would be eased. Um, I question whether it's enough really to take people along with them at this point because you know, new surveys have come out this week to show that adherence is significantly slipping yeah. in terms of um, people adhering to those restrictions, particularly the, the five kilometre limit. And I think that was one that people were kind of looking for some sort of relaxation, even if it was just a couple of more kilometres to get a different walk in. Um, I think they were looking for, for something there, but that's just not going to come until we get into April at this point. And it's going to be really hard for example, this coming weekend when we have a major improvement in the weather forecast. And again, people will have to look out on Sunday and stay in the same 5K. That, that is annoying people, but of course the, the answer is that's to keep movement down. But with regard to businesses, they're not overly happy this morning. No, they're certainly not. And last night when I was at the press conference and, and going through that um, updated living with COVID plan, it's about 60 pages. It's very dense for just uh, anybody to really flick through and try and find any detailed uh, information. It's kind of a lot of talk, but very vague. And, you know, some of the key questions um, that businesses would be looking at, particularly, say, hospitality, I think they knew that they weren't going to get any dates specifically that was well flagged. 
But if you're going to start preparing to open at some point in the summer, you need to have some clarity about what that's going to look like. So I had asked the question in particular about that nine-year-old meal that we long talked about back in the summer. Um, you know, at the time, there was a lot of discussions about whether, say, wet pubs needed to update kitchens, they need to install, you know, uh, seating outside, they need to know what their business looks like. And there just wasn't perhaps that clarity and foresight about given to businesses about what they need to maybe yeah. do now in order to prepare for later. Yeah. And I think that was perhaps a misstep from the government side. They, they could have used that opportunity to maybe inject a bit of hope and discuss plans into the future. But they do seem to be reluctant to do that and because they seem to think that if they discuss things that are going to open, that it will start perhaps giving, people mm. might start to relax and stop adhering to the rules. And I'm not sure that it's perhaps the correct approach at this point. I think it has to come down to trust and, you know, trusting that people know what's at stake here and, and what behaviour is best. Um, and also giving, cutting people some slack that it's a long time into this and, you know, good speeches and hanging in there sort of quotes. I'm not sure it's going to cut it. It's wearing a little bit thin at this mm-hmm. stage. Although they have said that the the tack has changed with regard to reopening schedules. They're going to go with, it's now a coined phrase, data rather than dates. Because in fairness, they got their fingers burnt before with regard to dates. So maybe they're going to go with the data now. Yeah, they, that was an interesting um, side of the plan in terms of different metrics that they want to sort of hit before they start reviewing certain things to reopen. So you know, it, it's things like the, the case numbers, the vaccination numbers, the hospitalizations, ICU. And that was something that's constantly been sort of asked of the government throughout this is what, what's your number if we want to get to this? And constantly they've been saying, well, it's, it's a mixture of things. And I think what anybody really knows is, be it in business or college or whatever, it's, it's always good to have a target and give people a bit of, I suppose, something to aim for. Yeah. And I think this new approach might work better in, in that terms. But if they start fudging that and start, you know, changing the, the goalposts, I think as this goes on, it's just going to add to more frustration. So I think they'd want to be pretty clear about what they want to achieve yeah. and what that means in terms of reopening. He, he was fairly clear where they want to go with, with vaccines and, and it all looks very good and reads very well. But then if you go down into page 10 of the plan, Uh, Christina, you find a a very clear worry that we could face face the same problem trying to control this virus next winter. Yeah, I think uh, page 10 sort of was a bit of a punch in the stomach um, when you look at sort of uh, additional challenges, I think it says, into the winter. And it's sort of talking about, you know, perhaps living with social distancing and some of those restrictions being in place as far up into next Christmas, which... I think if people had been told that last Christmas, it would have been a huge shock to them. So uh, there has been always a bit of concern about transmissibility, the vaccine impact, also uh, the flu and how that might impact hospitals. So I think they're going to try and tread carefully, but I think they really are putting all their hopes into the vaccination programme and hoping that, you know, getting 82% of the population all adults by the end of June will have a huge impact in terms of changing what the picture might look like. It was a disastrous weekend in terms of government communications. Shambles doesn't even go there. Uh, Did he do anything last night, finally, Christina, to rescue that situation? 
Well, he was asked last night um, whether he thought there was a problem within government in giving clear communications, and he said no, that the the government has been clear throughout. Now, it, it, it's very obvious that that is just not the case, and I think denying the fact they're getting that question posed to kind of does say that there's something else afoot here. So I think it probably would have been right to say, look, you know, we're going to take a look at that and see how we can communicate better and ensure that we bring people along with us rather than denying that there definitely have been missteps, be it with those things like the vaccination centres and hotels not being told they were on the list. And also that was kind of maybe would have been a good news story and it was rather buried. There was no big press conference about it. It was just sort of issued by press release. There's been a lot of confusion about whether the unions are on board for reopening the schools and then obviously uh, leaks and things coming from different, you know, interviews with the Taoiseach and when, what was going to be in this phase reopen. And now to be fair um, to the Taoiseach, he has said that he's been on message in terms of the, the restrictions that would be in place and you know, as far back as 23rd of January, he did, he did say that restrictions would be in place for the first six months of the year, which has come to pass. But yeah. I think the problem with the government is they perhaps think that everybody tunes into leaders' questions or everyone's tuned in to certain radio programmes or the television and they're constantly keeping up with what the Taoiseach is saying. But I just don't think that's the case at this point. There's so many people that are just not engaging yeah. with the news that are just... Yeah, or getting it from dodgy it. sources, shall we say. Yeah, of course. And I, I think that, you know, saying that you're repeating the same thing since January is is just not going to fly. People are wary. They're waning here. And they're just not as engaged or picking up every single news line that perhaps they might have been before. Indeed. All right, leave it there for today. Thank you very much. Christina Finn, political correspondent of the journal.ie. Can I ask the executive research desk, lads, I don't have a print of page 10. Could you maybe get one for me so I can have a, a proper grasp of it and have it to my fingertips? 185715996. Aidan says, not a, not a lick of clarity. The opposite, in fact. All I know now is level 5 will be revisited in April and it continues on and on until some unspecified date. Stephen says, apart from Michal Martin's address unveiling a very slow and unsure timetable, worse than that, though, we're doing the same things over and over expecting a different result. Why, for example, are we waiting until Thursday to test the students in UL? How far will it have spread by then? We all know people don't isolate until they get a positive test, even if they do then. We need to try new ways of doing things. We need to look outside Neffet for ways of keeping the country safe, which I understand is important. I think 10 weeks is far too long for a lockdown. The damage done to people and business is enormous. Nick says no mention at all regarding the opening of third level. That's true. My daughter uh, was pointing that out last night as we were watching the speech together. Nothing in there for college. She's in college at the moment. Nothing in there for third level. What's happening with exams? What's happening with assignments where you have to be in the college? What, what's going to go on there? Jim, who would believe what the Taoiseach says? This is the man who told us the banks weren't bailed out by the government. And it was his party had to stay up all night trying to find a way to sort out the banks, 1850 I, I Look, I, I'm, I'm trying to gear up for some very optimistic numbers here in Cork. I'm really happy with the numbers here in Cork. And I think we've cause as a people, all 500,000 of us, to be very proud of how we're doing here. So I, I promise you I'll have those for you ASAP. They're looking good. Uh, we could be back 
to the situation we had last summer in Cork, we could be back there before May. It's doable. It's doable. We could be back there before May. But I want to get some more reaction from various groups. And I'm going to start with parents. And again, I'd like to know what you think as a parent. Uh, You know, was there anything in that last night for you? Again, to go through it again with regard to the schools from next Monday... The, the the junior and the high babies will go back. First and second class will go back. And leaving cert will go back from next Monday. And then from 15th March, which is the week of St. Patrick's Day, you've got fifth years going back, I think, and the rest of primary. This is the plan anyway. And then after the Easter holidays for the rest of secondary. That's, that is the plan, and it'll be based on the data, and the word review, review, review pops up, which presumably means daily case numbers. But they haven't put a target on it. They haven't, now, the likes of the people who support going for zero would say you've got to wait until you're down to 100 or 50 a day before you start doing any major openings, maybe even below 50. Uh, Tomas Ryan, the associate professor who we've had on here many times, says that we should wait till we're below 10 nationally per day. We're a good deal away from that. But anyway, let's go to parents. Jen Hogan, parenting journalist with the Irish Times, tweeted last night, a tale of one household, two kids ecstatic, two disappointed, one devastated, one indifferent, and one still streaming lectures in her bedroom. You didn't receive that uh, announcement very well last night, Jen, did you? Good morning. Mm -hmm. Good morning, PJ. No, I didn't. I mean, there was great excitement here with the Smallies, and that was what we were anticipating, obviously, that um, they would return on March 1st. And so I have two going back on March 1st who are absolutely thrilled. Um, Two more who will go back, hopefully, on March 15th, who are disappointed because, you know, every week matters. One of those is a sixth-class child, and they are going to miss out um, on yet more weeks of um, the preparation for secondary and those precious last few weeks in in primary school. Um, I think the one that I'm most upset about is the teenagers returning to secondary schools because the majority of secondary school students will not return now until well into April. The school year is already going to be cut short by a week to allow teachers to prepare the, the grades, the estimated grades for the Leaving Cert. So they're not back for another seven weeks and then they have maximum six weeks in school. It's just, it just shows a total and utter disregard for the needs of teens and it operates on that presumption that, te- that remote learning works fine for teenagers while forgetting completely what the, or who, what the essence of who teenagers are, how they, le- how they learn, their need for remote um, or their need for peer support. And I suppose it's just, again, pushes them to the bottom of the pile. Never mind the fact, I mean, the other side of it is there was no mention of children with additional educational needs in mainstream education returning in advance. So those children in secondary school are waiting an awful long time, again, um, trying to function with remote learning, which just doesn't work. And what I'm hearing from parents is huge levels of anxiety, withdrawn teenagers, um, distressed teenagers, overwhelmed teenagers. This is it's, What's being done there is cruel. They should have found a way, I believe, to have reduced those phases from three down to two. And there was no um, student-centred solution there whatsoever. Mm. I mean, we could have looked Was there a case to be made, Jen, for scrapping the Easter holidays and bring everybody yes. back, on the, um, back on the Tuesday? Absolutely. Look, I've been campaigning for those holidays to be moved since the school closures in January because we knew they were never getting back. You know, the goalposts have been moved on us so many times. It was kind of 
it, it was actually frustrating to see mm. it being plat, um, you know, placated with ridiculous dates that were never going to happen. And those holidays should have been brought forward to this period of school closures. While they were at home, they may as well have been off. It would have taken pressure off parents, taken pressure off students, and it would have given all children a chance to have more in-classroom time where they get to have all the benefits mm. that in-school teaching offers. Then again, moving dates, like the dates are set in stone by the Department of Education, yeah. so you have another problem there. Can I just refer back to some Something that we had here on the programme yesterday, Jen, which I appreciate you, you didn't hear. But I was speaking to Dr. Amelie Coyne, the, the mm-hmm. psychologist, and it was about an, another thing entirely. But at the end of it, I asked her to focus on children and young people for, briefly. And I, I, I put it to her that for the most part, and she, she said, yeah, this is true. For the most part, and let's be very stressed at that, most of the kids will be fine. They'll be grand. They will be 100% fine once all this is over. Well, actually, that's different to what the psychotherapists and psychologists I'm speaking to are telling me. They're very worried about how this is going to pan out. And it's been pointed out to me that often um, evidence of trauma is not obvious until several months after the event. They're also telling me they're completely overwhelmed with requests for support, that they can't actually, they can't, they can't help because they're so overwhelmed with requests for support from parents. And there yeah. is that very convenient platitude, children are resilient. It actually forgets about our most vulnerable in society and perhaps looks at this through a privileged and safe lens. Well, that's possibly why she was saying for the most part. Mm. But is that okay? Is that actually okay if we just dismiss the needs of others? because No, don't, of course not. pull the ladder up, Jack. See, but mind you, there is evidence there, Jen, from when they had the earthquake in Christchurch in New Zealand. And a lot of schools in that area of New Zealand were closed for nearly a year. And they found afterwards when they researched the kids that the impact on them wasn't that bad at all, really. But it's not just schools. Schools was all that children had left. It's all that they had left. They have no social interaction. They're kept away from their their sports. Yeah, obviously, are closed. But it's beyond sports. Some of these children and teens haven't had access to their outlets for near on a year now because they're, anything that was indoor has been closed for the majority of the time or has also moved online. So there ha- there's, there's a, it's part of a whole yeah. process at a whole... But we do, we do have to focus, don't we, on the dangers of the movement of people? We do. And I suppose I, I'm going to make that person. And while I accept that that's the reason why we closed the schools, because we were trying to reduce the movement of people in my house, for example. And, and I have spoken to a lot of parents who have said there will be no reduction in movement because younger siblings will have to go along while kids move. In, in my house, I'll have to take my middle children with me as we drop off our, their younger siblings because they're too young to be left at home and their older siblings will be in, in their online classes. So they'll have to come with me. And one older sibling who used to bring a younger sibling home, he won't be in school, so that won't be able to happen. So then I'll be back out and they'll be back out as we do separate pickups. Yeah. It won't reduce movement in our part. But I do think that we have to, we have to, we should have found a way because children's rights and children's well-being is not an acceptable trade-off any longer. And that's what's happening, you know. Okay. They have been heroes. They have been magnificent throughout the, all this. But the ask of them has been utterly unacceptable. And it was the responsibility of the government to find a way and, to get them and, back. And to, to be fair, places. a lot of schools are back in a lot of countries around the world uh, who've been dealing with the second and third wave. Jen, thank you. Leave it there for now. That's Jen Hogan, a parenting journalist with the Irish Times. That discussion is going on on social media and I, doc- I asked Dr. Coyne about it yesterday and she's very, st- for the most part, your kids will be grand. Uh, but that doesn't cover everybody, I guess, which has to be 
important as well. 1850-715-996. No move at all on outdoor sport for the youngsters. No move at all on Saturday morning GAA, soccer, swimming, basketball, all the things that they love to do <laughs> to the parents getting dragged out of the bed at half seven on a Saturday morning. Dad, I'm training! Dad, I'm training! You know, the, while, while the adults are loving the lion, the kids really want that back. And there was nothing there for them tomorrow. Was there anything in it for small business? Next. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With Lehan Motors, leading the way for Toyota hybrids. The place to order your 211 Toyota. See lehanmotors.ie. You guys ready? We're driving, we're driving. Big Drive Home, weekdays from 4. On Cork's 96FM. Hey, it's Lorraine. Make sure to join me every evening on The Big Drive Home where I've got you sorted with the best music mix. You could win takeaway on us, all thanks to Toppers, Chips and Turner's Cross. I love all the latest in Cork traffic and the biggest celebrity interviews. Me and my sister used to watch Grey's Anatomy all the time and then it was like my music was in it. The Big Drive Home. Let's talk business with Ford Lease. Hassle-free vehicle leasing. Search Ford Lease to find out more. Cork's 96 FM. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award-winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now. 1850-715-996. On Cork's 96 FM. I promise, I know there's not much joy so far this morning. I promise I'll give you a little bit of happiness. I will do the Cork numbers next in about five minutes because they're good. They're good and we're headed in the right direction in Cork. And if that, if Michal Martin doesn't encourage you uh, to keep up the fight, then maybe the numbers will. But let's go back to the man who lit up our show yesterday and lit up social media uh, yesterday and the day before and was on primetime last night reacting to this package let's catch up again with Paul Trevode and Killarney. Paul, anything in there for you and your sector last night? Good morning. Hey PJ, how are you? Um, ah, look, the reality is, is no is the answer, but I, I wasn't expecting anything um, and yeah, look, of course it's frustrating, hence why I started off all the social media that I did, uh, but what's really encouraging was the overwhelming reaction from so many people, and I'm talking high 90 support, 90% support, like 95, 96, 97, it was just, and when you get a, a tweet from Vicky Phelan, who yes. turns around, and we all know Vicky Phelan, one of the most courageous women on the planet, not just here in Ireland, and when she says, Paul, I'm standing right beside you and fighting with you, you just go, well then, I have absolutely no regrets, I was dead right in what I did. Mm. So, I mean, I, I think that's the encouragement I'm taking from it. I think everybody knows, look, we know it's not safe. We know we need to do whatever we can. I'm just I'm just trying to highlight the fact that we do have a huge issue outside of, of the COVID and that's and that's everything else that that's going on and we need to acknowledge it and, and yeah. I think I think that came across well in prime time last night. Do you stand by your intention to open on the first of July? Yeah, look, I mean, nobody wants to intentionally break the law. I'm a law, I'm a law abiding citizen. And I clearly hope it doesn't come to that. But I mean, if, if if what I've done has really put a bit of pressure on the government to say, listen, we need to try harder. I mean, the whole crux of what I was saying was that we're all sitting at home, going, what are we doing wrong? You know, we're you know we're doing our social distancing. We're we're doing everything we're told to be to do, and but the numbers just aren't moving. So so maybe there is. Mm. another reason and maybe the government need to stand up and say you know what like, maybe we haven't done a whole well, lot I think Paul, to be fair the numbers aren't moving fast enough nationally because Dublin is a basket case but Kerry but, is brilliant Kilkenny yeah. had zero cases yesterday and Cork Cork, Kilkenny and Kerry are the three 
lowest in the country at the moment. Yeah, it, I mean, that's incredible. And what's, what I don't understand is that how we're not putting more pressure on our government to say, guys, like last year you came out with this county-by-county county approach. Well, is that gone? Is, like, have we forgotten about that? Is, is that not happening? Could you imagine the joy of everyone in Cork and Kerry and Kilkenny? There's a few other spots. If we were Leitrim. allowed... Yeah. yeah, Leitrim. If we were allowed to move somewhat towards the end line, and I mean, and, and it would be up to us. I mean, we really have to play our part. I mean, if Cork opens up and Kerry opens up, well, everyone in Cork. Well, well, you'd literally really take your situation, Paul, and and I'm not blowing smoke anywhere I shouldn't. But people ring you from from Donegal to know can they come yeah. down for dinner on Saturday? You, would you yeah. be prepared to refuse them? Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, the end game here is to get the entire country back to where we all want to be. So I mean, it would. That, so that's my small part. So I open up, and as I said, I was down 25% capacity last summer. I'm quite prepared to only open at 25%. So, so to be 75% down, just to get the ball somewhat rolling. And then it's my it's my obligation to turn around and say, sorry guys from Donegal or Dublin or wherever, but no, you can't come down. I'm not taking that reservation. So I've done my small part. The guy in Donegal, it's his obligation to turn around and say, actually, I'm not even going to bother ringing Kerry, because if we do this for another four weeks, maybe Donegal's in the same position. Yeah. But everybody is going to, and as I, I put down on Twitter, like we all need to double down. I know it's so frustrating. I know it's so hard. And when we're in the middle of a lockdown, you're trying to tell people we, we really need to lock down more. Well, maybe that's what we need to do. But the problem is, is that the biggest issue, as I said yesterday, that the government have is that they've lost us. Yeah. So if they tell us to lock down, they can't communicate to the people of this country to get us back on board. So never mind trying to solve COVID issues. They have to win us back yeah. before they even go any further. And there, and and there, and there the, wasn't a whole pile in there that will do that. Paul, I'll leave it there. The line isn't the best. Thank you very much again for being with us on the opinion line. Paul Travaud from Travaud's Restaurant in Killarney, who says quite clearly that if it's a thing that we got to zero, I changed my Twitter handle last night and I started a new hashtag because I believe this passionately that we could be zero in Cork. And we will be zero at Cork based on the numbers I'm about to give you. And then when we get there, we need to stay there. And one of the ways you do it is you pick Paul's restaurant or you go down to any fine restaurant in Cork. Go down to Neil Grant down in, in the wonderful hotel in Roscarbury there, the Celtic Ross. Or go down to our friends in, in the Clayton in Cork here. Or any great hotel or restaurant of Cork City and County. And, and, and they have to be prepared to say, right, well, if we get open, we will not take bookings from anywhere that isn't open. So... That would be one way of doing it. Let's look at the numbers, though, as they sit with us this morning. Never mind the national numbers, I'm focusing on Cork. Yesterday in Cork, we had 23 new confirmed cases. Now, that was out of a national total of just under 600, 550, I think. So we had 23 new cases confirmed yesterday in Cork among 500,000 of us. The average for the last five days was 24. All right, how good is that? Our 14-day case numbers as of today, the 24th of February, is 497. 497 for the last 14 days as of today, February 24th. That's per 100,000 of us, and you know the drill. Per 100,000 population, that's 92 for a population of 500,000 people. That's 92 per 100,000. This time last week, the 17th of February, our 14-day case number was 705. 705, 141 per 100,000. 
So go back a month from today. So today we're on 497 cases in 14 days. Go back a month to January 24th. 3,812 cases. So we're going down by 40% a week. Our 14-day average is one-eighth of what it was this time last month. That's brilliant progress. On the mathematics, and I sat down this morning with a piece of paper and a pencil, which is the best way to do maths, the new cases in Cork, are you ready for this? On the current rate of progress, our new cases in Cork could be into single daily figures in five weeks. We could be at single, it's it's harder to get down. The smaller the numbers become, the harder it is to get down. Always remember that. So you go from 20 to 10 faster, much faster than you go from 10 to 5. But we could be in single daily figures in Cork in the next five weeks. And the better news again is that the numbers we had last month, or last summer rather, the numbers we had last summer when our fortnightly figure, our 14-day figure was single figures, we could do that on the present pattern by the May weekend. We're crushing it, lads. We're crushing it in Cork. Absolutely crushing it. And who's to say that won't accelerate if we crush it a bit harder? And it is hard to pause. But we're getting there. Those numbers are a reward. And and I'm going to read them out more because we are getting there. How does Michal Martin know how it feels to be in a situation that everyone's currently in? When he's able to work, uh, getting a full wage and probably a bonus, it's a joke. Typical Fine Fáil, Fine Gael government. The sooner they're out of running the country into the ground, the better. He gave no hope yesterday, only misery uh, to the people of Ireland. I, I am conscious, by the way, when I'm commenting here, very conscious of the fact that I and Fergal and Terry and the rest of us, we are we are the lucky ones. We, we've kept our jobs, we've kept our wages, and, and we've gotten through this uh, other than being bored, senseless, pretty much unscathed and we are the lucky ones and I'm very conscious of that whenever I'm commenting uh, of a morning let us go to the Chamber of Commerce are we good to go there? we are Uh, Paula Cogan is uh, the President of Cork Chamber who issued a statement last evening saying there was not enough clarity on reopening of the sectors Paula good morning PJ good morning to you again Uh, did you accept that the Taoiseach is driven by data not dates? I mean, we clearly accept that, you know, there, we have to be able to control controllables, TJ. So, uh, you know, giving a date of, OK, hospitality will open on the 21st of July, that's totally unrealistic. And we completely understand that. But I think what everybody wanted last night was just, you know, a, a speech from our government that says we've got you. We have a plan. We know where we're going to and setting some parameters. So I suppose in the business world, PJ, and any other world, we're always used to talking about milestones. So, you know, if you got to a number associated with community transmission levels, what would that allow us to do? What would that allow us to reopen? With regard to hospital and ICU occupancy, of course, that's absolutely paramount. And we're still in the middle of a pandemic. But again, if we got the ICU numbers down to a certain number, what would that allow us to do? The vaccination programme, if 50% of our population were vaccinated... What would that allow us to do? So he, gave three, yeah, he gave three parameters that, that have to fall into place before anything can really change. 
community transmission, obviously. Yeah. And and as you might have heard me going through the numbers, we're getting there in Cork, big time. Yeah. Big time. Yeah. Um, and in another few weeks, we, we could easily be at virtually zero community transmission, which is where we want to be. Hospital and ICU occupancy, which is on the way down only slowly, and then the vaccine programme. And he did give an idea of where he wants to be with vaccines, but there were no, no dates accompanying that. No, absolutely not. And again, I think it's just the messaging, PJ. Um, you know, people are, everyone is, everybody you talk to is, is just hanging on. It's been a long year. And as somebody said to me at the start of this, this was going to be a marathon, not a sprint. I think we all bought into that from the start and we all continue to. And I suppose I, I would pledge, you know, from, from a court chamber membership perspective, PJ, we are not suggesting that, you know, companies go out and start flagrantly not doing what they're supposed to do. But we do need some clarity as to, you know, dates like saying that hospitality could open mid-summer. What does that mean? What does that mean? So th- those kind of milestones and KPIs need to be set. We also need to know, PJ, that the supports are there, that those business supports which are currently in play, which are the lifeline for yeah. so many business organisations, you know, they need to go far beyond June now. We know that. We know well, they're, that saying they're, they're saying that the, the, the supports will continue till the, till the end of June, which would seem, if you read between the lines, that we can start getting open and then hopefully, goodness sake, if we're not open by the middle of June, we're in serious trouble. But you, you reckon that the extension of COVID supports should go beyond that, in fact, ah. until everyone's open again? Absolutely, CJ. I mean, that certainty alone would allow for a number of employers to be able to to plan for the future effectively. And again, those supports have been a lifeline for the last year for many organisations. But just to, to get up and running from, from a business perspective, you just can't do it overnight. Yeah. Um, and again, we have the complexity of Brexit starting to impact as well. Yeah. And, you know, basic things, construction are, are starting to, to see lack of supply coming in from the UK. Steel is something that's very hard to get. So again, if construction new, okay, so we're, we're working mm. towards the date of, of whatever June, they can plan for that. Whereas you you kind of have a have perfect no storm, don't you, Paula? Sorry to cut across you. You kind of have a, a perfect storm where you have all of the uncertainty of the pandemic and trying to reopen and you have Brexit in on top of it. Like These are two, two beauties on their own, but happening together is is a disaster. Absolutely, and because you have you have two you know massive situations happening from business community running in parallel, PJ. That's why we need clarity. That's why we need somebody to stand up and say, "We have the plan. We have the supports in place for you. You can go and concentrate on trying to rebuild your business and reopen your business." And again, as I say, you know, organisations like Enterprise Ireland, the IGA, the local authorities, they've been hugely supportive of business and they should be congratulated on that. But they need to have the clarity to know that they can continue to provide those services effectively, not until June, right the way through to the end of the year. As President of Chamber, I want you to answer this question if you're in your official capacity as you could, if, if you can, Paula, and it's this. We've a lot of what I call stirrings now on social media of individual businesses talking about going rogue and an opening be damned. What would you say as President of Chamber? I mean, we are in the middle of a pandemic, PJ. We would not be supporting in any shape, form or fashion people not taking that government advice, that medical advice. I mean, I my day job is within the medical sector now, PJ, and, you know, we see the numbers. We see the impact it's having on ICU 
we would absolutely implore people not to do anything that would impact on that. You know, we, we know that people are struggling mentally, etc. But we have to hold the line to ensure that we will be able to open effectively when the time comes. But those time limits have to be given to people. And that assurance, and I, as I say, a lot of it is around the messaging. If you look, and I'm not just saying it because she's a female leader now, PJ, but look at Jacinda Ardem in, in New Zealand. Oh, look I'm a huge messaging. fan. We'll talk look about her all day if you want. <laughs> look at her reassurance to her people saying, look, guys, you know, we're not doing great this week, but you know what? If we do this, we'll be fine for the following week. There's a plan there. There's a reassurance. There's a voice there that says, we are there with you. And that's what's missing currently. The, the, the great line she had was the team of five million. That's what we want to be. We want to be that team. Absolutely. All right. Paula, leave it there for today. Thank you very much. Paula Cogan, the president of the Chamber of Commerce. And a clear message there, I think, from the Chamber president to anyone thinking of going rogue. Don't do it. The Opinion Live with PJ Coogan on Courts 96 FM. 1857-15996, the number to call. The text to WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. Particularly wanting to know what you think of what we heard from the Taoiseach last evening. We know the bones of it. Nothing really to change until Easter Monday with the exception of the children starting back to school. Starting next Monday with the smallies, the junior and the senior smallies, and then the first and second class. And the leaving certs will go back next week. And then on around the 15th of March, which is the week of Patrick's Day, the fifth years, I think, are to go back in secondary school. And then after the planned Easter holidays, which would be the 12th of April, everybody else will go back to secondary school. And that's about as much as we have of it at this stage. Uh, Everything is to be reviewed taking the advice of public health and we'll get another announcement. I suspect we'll probably have something Good Friday. We'll probably get an announcement from Michal on Good Friday, the 2nd of April, uh, telling us where we go from there. We hope for a bit more than we got yesterday, but they have said they'll be driven by the data, not by the dates. But for anyone other than schools, not a whole lot in Yesterday. Now, good news about vaccines. I have to say I was encouraged by what he said with regard to the vaccines. I have said before, I can't wait for mine. It's a question of which arm do you want? You can have both of them and the left cheek in me backside if you need it to give me a vaccine. And and, and sooner I can get it, the better. I'm hoping against hope I can get one by the summertime, which the Taoiseach seems to think most of us will be able to do so. On the children, though, I have two children. One's going back to school in second class. The fourth class child has to stay at home and hasn't stopped crying since. This is having a worse effect than when they were both off school together. It's obvious Michal Martin has no idea what our children are going through. Mary, who's a mother in West Cork. Yeah, This is not a normal year. This is on the subject of whether the Easter holidays should just be done away with. This is not a normal year, therefore education cannot be normal. The children will be okay. Health is of utmost importance. They should not be going back until the numbers are down. They'll be the guinea pigs next week. And I did hear a lot of people, particularly at Leaving Cert level, suggesting that maybe taking the Leaving Cert back into secondary school next week is treating them a little bit like lab rats. But then again, they wanted to go back. 
They wanted their exam plan. They've got an exam plan. They want their results. You know, sometimes you have to handle. Well, you know, you need to be. You need to kind of settle down now and stop asking for things at some point or another. Eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. We got an email, uh, which we want to bring to the attention of a solicitor because it's quite serious. Uh, this is from someone who wants to withhold their name. Um, to protect themselves, and we're happy with that. It came, actually, on WhatsApp, thanks. I work in the food sector. Even under level five, I must attend my workplace. However, it really feels it would be safer to work in a hospital at the moment. Only work in twos, but one specific co-worker takes the biscuit. He keeps his mask below his chin, takes it off completely to talk to you. We've deliveries coming in, He shakes hands with the drivers and stands within two centimetres of them, let alone two metres, with no mask on. He doesn't respect social distancing around me at all. I've tried reporting it to local management, but where I work, the select few of my co-workers actually tell the management what to do. They run the place. I don't feel safe anymore. I've already had COVID. I don't fancy getting it again. Any thoughts on what I can do? Well, other than clobber the guy and and just, oh, what do you do? What are your rights? Like, we're all told to respect social distancing. If you saw the signs, our offices here are closed to the public at the moment and have been for months on end now. But we wear masks around the building here. We're sanitizing. We're washing our hands. Everything is cleaned in the evening and cleaned in the morning. And we're cleaning as we go during the day. We have to have a very strict regime to keep this radio station functioning. Imagine being in the food sector. And this gobshite will do nothing he's asked. And the poor devil trying to work with him is wondering what his rights are. Solicitor William Harvey joins me. William, good morning. Morning, PJ. Thanks for having me on. Horrible situation to find yourself in. Does he have any rights? Absolutely. And, and PJ, we're seeing a huge volume of similar queries coming in from both employees, like this caller, and from an employer's perspective, trying to enforce, um, to try to enforce procedures and protocols in the workplace. And the answer to your question is yes, she does. She's she's certainly right. Um, and the two that spring to mind, I'm sure you you'll have seen and heard the the government released the. Um, back to work protocols initially last May. Um, it's an, it's a document online. It's extensive, but like it covers the very basics, such as hand hygiene, the wearing of masks, um, the coughing and sneezing etiquette around the office. And um, she would have protections under that because that should be enforced and should be available in any workplace for any employee to see and understand. And I know I've, I've certainly advised employers that they ha- that they should have their employees. Um, sign it in knowledge receipt of it and that they have read it and understand it and they'll agree for the safety of everybody to adhere to the protocols. Mm. Um, that's the most obvious one and glaringly obvious one. The, the next, um, under the Health, Health and Safety Welfare Work Act, every employee in the state is entitled to certain protections and, and without going through all of them, the relevant here is a safe place of work. Yeah. Um, and in my opinion, the employer has failed in respect to both protections that the employee is entitled to. And the next issue, um, PJ, is just what can this employee do very practically? Um, the first thing, and, and sometimes it is a runner and other times it's not, depending on your relationship with your employee or a colleague even, um, is to have an informal discussion with the employee firstly 
before, say, going to management or invoking any procedures is to try and have a very basic and uh, menial conversation with the um, colleague to see if that will resolve it. Mm. After that, I don't know a lot this particular caller. She may be part of a union. I know a lot of the food sectors, they are in unions. Um, and to speak to your union rep to see if any if that can if it can be advanced in that regard if the first way fails. Mm. Next, most employee most employers even sorry now have um COVID reps in the workplace. We have one here and I know my advice to employers again is get your COVID rep in and everything goes through that person if it concerns COVID and implementing procedures, protocols. I don't know if this if that is in place in this workplace. It should mm. be if it's not. And for the for the, the um, employee to talk to the COVID rep, express the concerns, see if it could be dealt with in that regard. And I think finally, uh, the last thing, if none of that works, the employee should have a grievance policy. You you get one when you um, enter the employment. You get a contract of employment. With that, you get a grievance policy. Mm. And you, if none of the above work, a formal complaint. Um, under the grievance policy has to be made and just to note as well from the um, employee's point of view, you can never be penalised if your complaint you're making under your policy um, is in relation to health and safety. So there can't be any retribution of any form. Under the... You're the lawyer, I'm not, so you'll answer this question better than I could. Reading the email as I presented it there sounds to me as if there's a clear breach going on here of the provisions of the of, of the HSW Act. Well, absolutely, no doubt about it. Um, and it's a, it's a safety issue. Um, and my experience is the employers I have been advising and the employees who have come in and who have also been advising, um, like they want these procedures and protocols followed. Like the, the, the ramifications, like it goes without saying, if, if COVID is contracted in your business, we've seen what's happened to various companies around the place um, if COVID is contracted in the workplace, it shuts down the workplace, you know, and employers should be heavy-handed um, with the um, in place in these procedures, you know, because the, the, the level of detriment to be suffered is huge if COVID is contracted. And it's, it's unfortunate that, that these breaches, they're the very, they're the very, very basics, um, yeah. you know, that you would expect. Looking down the road, William, could you see a situation when all of this is over, and we keep promising ourselves that it will be, but when all of this is over, if someone got COVID and got a bad dose of it, got long COVID, or worse still, if someone got COVID and died because their workplace was unsafe, could you see lawsuits coming down the road? I could, PJ. Um, like We have advised on it in the past where people have been have been fallen very very ill following contraction of COVID and the difficult thing is it's almost next to impossible to um, find out where you contracted it Um, that's the difficulty and when a plaintiff brings a case the proof is on the plaintiff um, and that plaintiff would have to establish that the COVID was contracted in the workplace and as you know you can you can pick up COVID you know brushing a surface in a shop you can pick it up virtually anywhere as we virtually all know mm. so that would be but, a but under this under the civil um, balance of probability situation William if your workplace is demonstrably unsafe is it a balance of probability then in a civil case that you got it there absolutely and look if you just even apply these circumstances and if I was defending the employer here and the details set out in the the email which you read um, could be proven um, you know I would have a difficult time defending that particular employer I would feel if 
all the protocols and it's the basics haven't been followed and appear to be ignored um, continually, I think you'd have a difficult time defending an employer in that circumstance, certainly. Yeah. Someone's been on the phone here. There's a link where you can complain to the health and safety people feeling unsafe at work. I did complain about something very similar to this. Got an automated response saying how some people don't need to wear masks due to different circumstances and some are exempt for personal reasons, which didn't really answer the, the query. No, no. And I suppose and, and it is important to point out that every every single situation and workplace and case must be taken on its own facts. There are exemptions. Not everyone has to wear a mask. But like I suppose what would jump out of me here is that the mask is down around his chin or his neck, I think you'd said, uh, which would indicate that he can wear a mask if he you know, and it's opting not to do so. Yeah. Okay. Well you'll leave it there. Thank you very much uh, for your advice. Uh, that's William Harry. Slister, eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. You have rights if your employee, fellow employees, or your employer is just not keeping your workplace safe. You have rights. In fact, everybody should have a copy of it. Every worker should have a copy of it. The two thousand and five Health, Safety, and Welfare at Work Act. Uh, we had a, a fantastic laminated version of it here in the building. Uh, that a good friend of ours, a good friend of the show, distilled it down into the essentials. Let's try and find that again. Uh, it's very good. 1850-715-996. But you are protected on the subject of the quarantine. Yeah, uh, we had a comment there before 10, was it? Yes, Paul said no word of quarantine. Everybody wants it. There's a news this morning is that the Doyle is debating the legislation today to provide for the mandatory quarantine coming from areas where there's known to be high transmission. The opposition, though, are calling on the government to extend it to everybody coming into the state. But the government insists it'll initially just be used for those coming here from 20 listed countries, along with those who do not have a negative COVID test. And uh, amendments will be tabled today to try to change that position. Yesterday morning, you will remember that I spoke to Professor Mike Toole, an epidemiologist based in Melbourne in Australia, where their first attempt at mandatory quarantine, they made a hames of it the first time and they ended up in a brutal second lockdown in the city of Melbourne that lasted for 111 days because mandatory quarantine was leaky and not properly managed and they put private security in there and it just didn't work. And he said that if we're going to get this right, we need to not make the mistakes they made in Australia. The two being, do not have private security, make sure they're employees of a state body or you know, an accountable state system like they have in Queensland and then he said do not under any circumstances have this limited list of who can quarantine because otherwise you're wasting your time and here we are about to do it. 1850 715 on the subject of vaccines I I did take some encouragement from what Michal Martin said last night about vaccines. And I'd, I'd like to know what you think. And it's also a very big debate in the UK. This morning I was listening to a phone-in about we they over there they may soon have to carry or be encouraged to carry proof that they're vaccined, they have been vaccinated. How would you feel about doing that here? But anyway, here's what Michal Martin said last night about the vaccine plan, 
which he says will be rolled out over the months to come. By the end of March, we will have administered 1.25 million doses. Then, depending on vaccines arriving as scheduled, we will administer, on average, more than 1 million doses per month during April, May and June. What that means in practical terms is that by the end of April, up to 40% of people over 18 years of age will have had their first dose. By the end of May, up to 64% will have had their first dose. And by the end of June, up to 82% of adults who can be vaccinated will have received at least one dose, and 55% to 60% will be fully vaccinated. I find that very encouraging. I just hope they can deliver on it. 1850-715-996. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With Lehan Motors, leading the way for Toyota hybrids. The place to order your 211 Toyota. See lehanmotors.ie. Simon Murdoch and the best music mix. Weekdays from midday on Cork's 96FM. I've got your afternoon soundtrack in Cork covered. All the big stars with all the hottest tunes. They play here if you're working, working from home or just need something to get you through the afternoon. Be with me for midday on Cork's 96FM. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now, 1850 715 On Cork's 96FM. Coming in just a second, is your relationship with food tricky? And is lockdown not helping? Like we all had the COVID stone followed by the Christmas and subsequent kilograms and we're all kind of thinking yeah that little bit there shouldn't be there but but do you have an unhealthy or tricky relationship with food uh, we're coming to that in just a minute and it's a very serious one because a lot of people do have a very tricky uh, relationship with food and lockdown is not helping uh, and it goes far beyond uh, putting on the few pounds from eating junk it's it's different very different. I get there in just a while. So I want to send out a small message, if I could, a personal message of solidarity here. Um, Dr. Neve Lynch, who we have spoken to many times on the programme, she's a paediatrician at the Bonds, and she's spoken to me about the effect of COVID on children and the effect of COVID on the families that she deals with. Um, Neve has been getting some pretty despicable trolling on social media in the last 24 hours with regard to her insistence that masks protect us and masks protect children. And as she said, she was the one who introduced that lovely catchphrase on the programme, my mask protects you and your mask protects me. And we've gone with that with her. She's getting some despicable trolling from horrible people over the last uh, 12 or so hours and just to let you know, Neve, if you're listening or if anyone is listening that knows her, tell her that uh, she has our solidarity, at least here on the Opinion Line at Quarks 96 FM. 1850-715-996. Let us go to Fawn Clark, who is a nutritional therapist. Fawn, good morning to you. Good morning, PJ. And lovely to talk to you. You know, we mention sort of flippant things like, 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 like COVID stone and all of that, but nutritional therapy goes way beyond that and indeed some people's relationship with food is unhealthy at the best of times and has gotten even worse during this lockdown and and what you do now with people is based on your own very personal experience 
Yeah, yeah. First, I'd like to thank you for having me on your show. Um, yes, well, I work slightly differently because of my own experience with people. My, I've come from, a, you know, like you described, a, a tricky relationship with food. And um, so I work with people, um, not just um, not just helping them get to a place of um, optimal nutrition, but it's, it's more psychological, getting to a place where we're not using food to cope on a day-to-day basis. And um, so there's a slightly different emphasis on the way that I work with people. It's people who um, find themselves just not being able to stop eating or eating more than they want or using food in a way that's quite self-destructive. For people who might be able to identify with what you're talking about, can I get a, a summary of your own story? Yeah, so for me, um, very briefly, I started in my teenage years of under-eating, I suppose, and then by the age of 20, I started overeating, and I just couldn't stop overeating. I, I, you know, I, I, would, um, I would tell myself over and over again, okay, I'm never going to do that again, never going to do that again, and a, a, a switch would be flicked, and I would start eating, and I wouldn't be able to stop. And it was generally sweets, cakes, and sweet foods, that sort of thing. I did it all very secretly because I was so ashamed of it. And um, um, and I thought, like I did a degree in psychology thinking that would help me. I did a degree in nutrition thinking that would help me. But none of it really did until I um, treated it um, more like an addiction than, um, um, you know, I thought that if I if I just chose foods that suited me, then I would, would stop eating. But I couldn't actually do that. Yeah. So... That was the that was the the way out for me. And for the past thirteen years, I haven't needed to overeat. So my, you know, I had this qualification before I got well. So I thought, well, I could probably help people yeah. who are like me. You 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 treated it, or you thought about treating it like an addiction to the point, I think, where you actually sat into your car and drove to Tabor Lodge. Yeah, yeah, I was. God, PJ, I was completely. That's you know, it wasn't. It was it had gone beyond being tricky. It was for me. It was. Um, I couldn't cope with it anymore. I just couldn't live with it anymore. And um, somehow I heard that Table Lodge treated people with food issues and I drove myself there. Yeah, I parked my car there and I was like not leaving. To me, that was actually such a relief to finally understand what was wrong with me because up up until then, I'd been trying and trying to stop, but I couldn't. I didn't know what was wrong with me. And that Mm. was really frustrating. But I felt that I was suddenly... And when I could identify with the drug addicts and I could identify with the alcoholics, what I'm trying to do here is is to maybe help to get into the head of someone who 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 may be in a similar position. So at the point yeah. where you drove to Tabor Lodge and looked for help, like how bad was it, Vaughn? What what describe your typical day? Well, it's it's funny. Like I probably ate more in my early twenties, so I suppose I drove. You know, I I went to treatment when I was in my late twenties, and. It wasn't the quantity of the food that I was eating then, but it was the fact that I couldn't stop thinking about it. You know, and even if I wasn't eating, I was thinking about not eating. And when I was eating, I was thinking about how am I going to stop? So, and then I would get a reprieve for a few days and I wouldn't be eating or a few weeks maybe. Um, and then I would start again and it would just be this compulsion for more I, I could, that I couldn't control. Now, I was at the very end of the spectrum in terms of severity. Not everyone is as bad as I was. Not yeah. everyone went to the lengths that I went to. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. 
Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. And, you know, I, I really was... A, disaster case you know I couldn't hold down a job I couldn't um, I couldn't rent my own place because I couldn't get the money together to do it like your whole day was all around your next food next piece of food yeah well yeah well well the problem was that I would get days where I wouldn't but I never knew when the day was going to come when I would and I would just drop everything to go and get food so it was it was um my life was just completely and utterly unmanageable Mm. and um and because of that um, I got really depressed, you know. I was, I was basically suicidal towards the end, you know. And um, you know that's what it's like for me. And it's like I might, I'd start eating, and I would just get in my car and I'd drive from garage to garage to garage to get to get food. And I was so ashamed of what I was doing, and I felt so embarrassed and um, pathetic because I couldn't stop eating food. I thought everyone should be able to stop eating food. That I would never, I would always do it secretly. So. It wasn't just that I was eating, but I was terribly alone and very um, isolated. And I thought mm. that I was the only one doing it. And How important like, was it to you, Fawn, to learn that A, you were not the only one doing it and that B, it was a form of addictive behaviour and there was a treatment available? Oh, massive, massive. So two things that happened in the treatment centre and following in a 12-step programme was A, that I wasn't alone, the only one who was doing this. In fact, there's a lot of people who were doing it. And that was huge. Um because I, I just felt like I'd met my people, you know, when I, when, I, when I met them. Like, I'd never heard of people speaking openly about this before. And secondly, the, the, you know, there was a sort of spiritual solution which helped me to see that my thinking was completely deranged in, in so many areas. Firstly, around food and the thoughts that I had around food. And what it did was, um, with the support of other people, I was able to begin to get a distance from my thinking. You know, so when I thought... Um, you know, I need to eat now, I would be able to question that after a while and go, no, I don't actually, I can sit through this and it'll pass and it's not real. And then it wasn't just around food, it was around everything else, you know, that, well, you know, um, the other thought, the other thinking that can bring people back is, well, it's not okay for me to be different. What will they think about me if I'm different? But that's no different to anyone changing, you know, so say somebody giving up drink or drugs, there's that fear of losing the social network that you're in. Um, so there's a lot of thinking that I needed to challenge in my head, and the the program in in um, in the, the twelve step fellowship helped me with that. 
So, yeah, so it helped me on two levels. Mm-hmm. And clearly it was a success and, and, and you've now turned it into the helping of others. In what way? Yeah, so so I was doing this voluntarily for years and last year I decided, you know, I could probably help people with my background in nutrition. I also have a background in cooking. And I was starting to, you know, people were asking me, you know, how do I cook and, you know, what do I do? And so I, I, I've been helping people. So I, um, I, um, first off is I help people to get on some sort of structure around their food. And um, th- that's sort of like... Um, because it's not like drink, you can't just put it down. You have to engage with food. Mm, you, know, you have to eat. You don't have to drink, yeah, but you yeah. have to eat. Yeah. You have to eat. So you need to have some sort of um, plan. You know, now for some people, depending on how, you know, how severe or how bad they are in terms of addiction, and um, the, the plan can be um, more or less sort of strict or. Um, the boundaries can be tighter. So everyone is different, PJ. When I'm working with somebody, I try to meet their needs and give them a, a, a sort of a, it's like a, you know, the most basic one would be three meals a day, okay? And that's sort of their, their plan. And when they when thoughts come into their head, I need to eat now or I need to eat something, they're like, no, no, I've got my plan. I can, I've, you know, I've decided my plan was born and I don't need to eat now. I can wait another two hours. And it's just like some sort of, um, it's like a discipline in the day that, that we sort of surrender to and um, we let go of our own thinking about when we need to eat and you know how much we need to eat because that's where we get into trouble when we start trying to solve our problem with our head which is you know not sane around food but it, what happens though is it, oddly enough after time like I've been doing this now for 13 years and after time we do get sort of restored to a sanity and I have a lot of freedom around food but at the beginning because my habitual way of eating was so disordered that I really needed you know, to get back to basics and have a very um, black and white structure to my day. Okay, this is what you do like a child being told, okay, you eat now and now and now mm. and forget about your own thoughts about eating. you had to relearn, how, didn't you? You had to you, teach your body to accept food in a specific way. Yeah, because what you really have built up a habit, you know, when, 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 when you eat in the way that somebody like me eats or, you, you know, you, you use food in an addictive way, what you're really doing is is you're using sugar usually and fat to get a, a dopamine kick, and there's this dopamine feedback loop, which is exactly the same that is um, that kicks in with anyone with addiction to cigarettes or drink or or drugs. You, you're you're looking for that um, dopamine spike, and when you when you repeat that behaviour over and over and over again, um, it forms a sort of neural pathway in the brain, and it's so easy to slip back into that neural pathway. So you sort of do have to create another pathway in your brain, you know, another, you know, uh, you, you know, it's another thought process that you need, sort of need to carve into the structure of your brain to become, that needs to form your new habit. Mm. problem is, it's very easy to slip back into the old habits if you go back to your old ways, always, unfortunately, because that old neural pathway is always going to be there. Mm. But, but once we carve a new one and it creates new habits, then that becomes the norm. So for me now, it's just not a problem. It's not an issue. We don't even think about food. You know, it's that addictiveness is gone. The craving is gone. The compulsion is gone for food. How important is it for someone who was in your position or who's listening to us and might be in a position like you or have a loved one uh, in a position Mm. to be able to cook? Well, not totally necessary, to be honest. Like, you know, it's nearly easier, oddly enough, if you can keep your food really, really simple because the more 
you're looking for really tasty foods, it's nearly, the more you're sort of, um, it, you can cross a line into looking looking for food to do something for us. So you don't act necessarily need to cook, but, it, it, you know, there's a sort of a sweet spot in the middle where you make your your meals delicious, but not too delicious yeah. and not too boring either. So there's a, And I, I suppose I find that there's some basic cooking tips that I people do find helpful you know like I sort of grew up with cooking so it's sort of in my blood I just know how to do things which I realise other people don't know how to do you know it can be the difference between cooking vegetables in a delicious way or not so delicious way you know and it's knowing what things to put Mm. together that is really helpful and that's what I try to teach you know really basic stuff but it's not necessary at all and a lot of people don't even enjoy cooking and that's fine as well and that's not necessary Lastly and and, and briefly Vaughan do you think that people who were, you know, who have a problem, has lockdown been hard on them? Oh, without a doubt, without a doubt. Because really what it is, is it's just being left with yourself and you're, you know, there's no distraction. And, you know, it, and it just, it's amplifying. The, the There's no, you know, so often to distract ourselves from eating, people might go shopping or they might go and visit people or they might go and, you know, and if there's nowhere to distract yourself you're just left to the thoughts of, of eating and they can get louder and louder and louder and it's not only that you know it, you, you you get into the habit of eating every day where there's nothing to sort of break the habit you know there's nothing to distract one from breaking the habit when you're at home every day day after day and you know when you're eating like that you don't want to exercise you don't want to go out you don't want to talk to somebody so it's a sort of a vicious circle you know that it sort of gets worse and worse so there's no doubt about it that this can be a hard time for people who have this um uh, this relationship with food, yeah. You're on, you're on Instagram if people want to find out some more. Yeah, absolutely. Most of my stuff is up on Instagram for now. I have a website which is phoneclark.com where I'll, I'm, I'm not, I've not got as much stuff up there as I have on Instagram. Yeah. But yeah, definitely. And your Instagram is phoneclark underscore nutrition. Yeah, that's it. Good to talk to you, Fawn, and, and thank you very much for being with us on The Opinion Line. That's Fawn Clark, nutritional therapist. There's probably something in there that I didn't, that you know some listener somewhere can identify or you can identify with regard to a loved one. There is help there, and I suggest that the first place you go is Fawn Clark underscore nutrition on the gram. Let's see where that takes you. But you're not on your own, and that's a huge, huge thing to learn and it can be an addiction just like booze just like drugs and in Fawn's case that's that's what it was 1857-15996 The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM With Lehan Motors leading the way for Toyota hybrids the place to order your 211 Toyota see lehanmotors.ie Access all areas on Cork's 96FM Your guide to nightlife on side. Hi it's Michael here with an update on Cork's Entertainment. 96FM's Ross Brown presents Nougal Answers Everything Live. It's a live stream event taking place on Saturday, February 27th and based on its five-star rated podcast, this live show is a hilarious venture into the head of a man who knows nothing about nothing. Tickets are now on sale from Eventbrite. Access all areas.
The Stunning formed in 1987 in Galway and hit the number one spot in 1990, staying there for five weeks with their debut album, Paradise in the Picture House. Rescheduled from 2020, The Stunning come to Cork to play Cypress Avenue for a special 30 years anniversary concert taking place on Friday, October 15th. Access All Areas. Feel free to let us know at Access All Areas if you have a show coming up or any live streaming events by emailing aaa at 96fm.ie. Access All Areas. Your guide to nightlife on the side. On Cork's 96FM. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 0833 On Cork's 96FM. Now, we seem to have gotten away reasonably well with the second lash of flooding last night, although they did close the straight road for many hours and uh, places are still well and truly flooded this morning. Roads were blocked, trees were down, etc., etc. But Mallow Search and Rescue came to the assistance of a man uh, who had a very, very close call. Ronan Looney, good morning. Hi there, PJ, how are well, you? What happened? It was, down, it was near, near the, the river there in Mallow, was it? It was, it was. It was on the uh, the park, the town park side of the river here in Mallow. Which becomes flooded quite frequently. It does, it, it becomes quite uh, flooded quite frequently, but uh, last night was particularly bad now, right? Um, the floodwaters were were very high in the park. Um, and we got a call from uh, a member of the public here in Mallow um, who spotted a flashlight, flashlight waving um, and alerted the emergency services, which then kind of... Um, we then uh, dispatched our, our rescue boat here in in the river in Mallow. Right, and and you managed to to get to the guy. And what? Who who was he? Do you know? Was he just? Um, we're we're not fully sure. Um, he he was just um, down by the what what's called the the pump house here, um, in Mallow. Um, so yeah, we went to his assistance, and we were able to thankfully get him out safely. He 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 was. Um, dry and, and we gave him any medical assistance he required when, when we brought him back here to the yeah. to the base in Mallow. I think but, he's um, a guy who sleeps in a tent quite frequently around the place, yeah? Uh, so we've heard, yeah, but um, that wouldn't be for us to comment on. Of course, on. of course, of course, yeah. 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 Um, so thankfully it was a good outcome um, and we were able to bring him back and he, he was safe and well and the guardian made sure he had somewhere to go for the, for the night as well make sure he wasn't uh, left out in the conditions. Yeah, a hairy 24 hours for the search, search and rescue services. It could have been a lot worse. Oh, most definitely, yeah. yeah. We, we got away um, quite lucky. Um, but, of course, it, like in these situations, you know, we always remain on standby for any, for any incidents that might occur um, in our locality. Okay, well listen, continue doing the great work that you do and thank you for it, Ronan Looney uh, from Mallow Search and Rescue that, according to Cork Bio, a well-known guy in the locality who sleeps in a tent quite frequently poor old Divoli, probably has nowhere else to go Uh, but um, got in trouble last night a boat dispatched, a boat out onto the town park if you know Mallow, you know how frequently that park gets flooded and it can get flooded to a depth of several feet and that's what happened last night. Um, but the guy's okay, which is great to hear. Thanks, thanks, Ronan. 185715996. Back to businesses and the plan as announced by the Taoiseach last night. Vicky, we've talked to Vicky many times, the owner of It's So Me at Douglas Village Shopping Centre. Again, uh, the business shut 
under level five and no sign of it opening anytime soon. Vicky, good morning to you. Good morning, PJ. Not much in that for you last night. <laughs> no, no, kind of disappointing, really, to be honest. I suppose, you know what, it's, it's a very difficult time for everyone in business, not knowing when we're going to get opened again. Yeah. I suppose you have to take it whether the as you presented it well we we have to go by data we can't give you dates yeah and I understand that and I understand the ethos behind it I think at this stage now none of us can face another lockdown this has to be it mm. I don't think mentally or financially any any of us could cope yeah. with a fourth lockdown let's, so let's remind that. ourselves Vicky while you're there actually of what he said with with regards to that Let's, let's, let's just have a listen back. 30 seconds. I want to make sure that when we open something, it stays open. That is why we will continue to proceed carefully and cautiously, keeping the situation under constant review and being informed at all stages by public health advice. I understand that some people will feel frustrated as you wait for your vaccine, but I ask you to be patient. There will be vaccines for everyone in the country who can be vaccinated. The vaccination program will completely change the landscape. We'll forget the vaccine bit. He is putting it out there that he gets it where where you are. Do you think he does, Vicky, really? I think he he does, but I, I do think that the practicality of businesses and businesses reopening again, we need we need more than you know, wait until the 5th of April and and see. You know, like in our businesses, we're planning ahead the whole time. Like, as as I'm on to here now, PJ, I'm actually in Dublin. Mm. It's it's essential today. I have a meeting um, buying for autumn, winter season. Mm. And the irony of it is I haven't even gotten open for spring yet. Yeah. So that's the harsh reality, like with business and every type of business, you're planning ahead the whole time, you know, and it's really difficult to do that under the the current climate. And and it's kind of a double whammy for you, Vicky, because your little place, It's So Me, you were already after a a tough year because of the the fire in in Douglas Village. And and here we go again. I know. And like I got opened on the, the 1st of December and closed again by the 31st so it's just it's been a long long road but like i i do understand the ethos behind us but like hopefully that this time we can move forward and that will be it and we need it i mean we need some sort of clarity we've lost too many businesses this year we can't afford to see any more businesses close and like the longer we're closed at the moment there's a greater chance of that happening. Like, are the supports have- sufficient that are there? Like, for example, and I don't need you to discuss yeah. pounds, shillings and pence with me, as it were, but like, can you survive on what you're getting to support you? Barely. Like, you have to remember when a business closes, you still have your overheads to pay, yeah. and they don't stop. Yeah. You know? Have so- you any help with those? I mean, does, does, does the scheme help you with those in any way? It does, but it doesn't come near what you need to pay. Yeah. yeah. You know, so I mean, you, you you have to appreciate that businesses are under huge pressure. Yeah. Yeah. Here's hoping that when he comes Here's back to us, probably exactly. on Good Friday, we'll yeah. have more. 
we'll have more. And just to, to give us enough time to get opened as well. You yeah. know, just to... It, it doesn't happen overnight and every business would be the same. You need, you know, you need preparation too. You need to know what you're facing down the line. So hopefully that will be given, you know, some sort of time frame to prepare for it as well. All right. Well, we'll keep in touch with all the, the small businesses around town. Vicky, Vicky Kreber, owner of It's So Me at the Douglas Village Shopping Centre. They've had a horrendous time of it, not just with the closure of the centre after the fire and then they got back open again and now they're closed again because of the extended lockdown. But there you go. There's one small business owner who says, look, the the, the provisions help. Can't lie about that. They do help, but they're nowhere near enough. They don't cover the bills. 185715996. Now, I've been following this story with great interest over the last year, maybe year and a half. It's the story of Hannah. Hannah Hill, who has a most horrible form of arthritis in her joint, her her jaws. And it also has a connective tissue disorder. And we've spoken many times about this. Her Her jaws are basically after breaking down and she is in constant constant pain and there is surgery Uh, there are artificial jaws as it were available for her but it's colossally expensive and there's been a GoFundMe going on for quite some time Uh, Catherine Clancy is one of those running the fundraiser Catherine good morning Um, good morning PJ how is she? Um, Hannah is actually very sick at the moment she's in hospital at the moment in Galway and thank you so much for speaking to me again about this the support has been fantastic Mm. Um, Describe for listeners the, 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 the situation in which she's in her jaws are pretty much useless Yeah, her jaws are deteriorating so she needs a complete jaw replacement and these jaws can only be made in California they are actually currently being made at the moment due to fundraising that we've already done so Hannah went over to London to get her wisdom teeth removed and an x-ray of her, jaw, her jaws. And since she has come back, unfortunately, the pain medication, she had an allergy to it. And she's in the hospital since she came back in Galway. Wow. So in constant pain. And of course, nutrition's a problem too. She yeah, she, ha- she hasn't eaten properly for two and a half years. So at the moment, she's been she's on a drip to try and get some food into her. But before that, she was on nutrition drinks. So in September 2018, my friend, Hannah's mom, Anne Hill, she contacted me and told me about the situation. Um, and since then, Hannah has been more or less bedridden. She's not eating properly. She finds it very difficult to talk as well. Because well her mind again what age she is. Yes, um, so she's 20 now, coming up to 21 soon. She should be in so the prime of her life. Exactly, and she's dreaming, she's very talented, she's a talented writer, she's dreaming of um, writing scripts and working over in London and creating films, so that's her dream, and her dream really is to go to college and fulfil her dreams. And this surgery can make that happen for her? Exactly, so we have been fundraising since September 2018, and at the moment we have 105,000 and we need another, she actually needs another 15,000 before the surgery can occur. Now, so people have been just amazing. They've they been really brilliant. You, I mean, you've got, like I said, you've, you've got 105,000 in, 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 the, in the bucket at the moment. The most frustrating part of it, though, 
is that you've been trying to get her sorted out with the treatment purchase scheme, trying to get treatment abroad scheme, and no joy. No, and your know, politicians have contacted us. Um, Michal Martin has been in contact. Um, Michael McGrath has actually been in contact with me. My mum, Veronica Stewart, has helped out mentally as well, and with Anne Hill. And it's just it's, it's just in the system, um, especially with Brexit now, it's after making it more difficult again because the surgery is occur- occurring in the London Clinic. Yeah. So she has not got any funding whatsoever through the HSE. So the only way to get funding, like we have tried everything through the HSE, so we really need fundraising from people, unfortunately. Okay. Well, look, tell her that you're, or tell her that we're thinking of her. Thank uh, you so much. And, and hopefully... Just to let you know, as well, yeah. there, we have a pop-up shop on Facebook. It's called Pop-Up Shop for Hannah Hill. Right. And we had we did get permission to do a pop-up shop in Carrigaline in the village. So obviously that can't happen due to COVID. Right. So people are putting up pictures of things that they want to sell and the money is going to Hannah Hill. Great. Okay. Um, and also some local businesses have been very generous. Um, every five euro, every 20 euro makes a difference. Yeah. And we're nearly there. We're on the final leg. So we're just hoping for a brighter future for Hannah. Okay. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Courts 96 FM. See some sad news there from the world of rugby. The death announced at the age of just 55 of Gary Halpin. Uh, played for Leinster, for London Irish and from Harlequins. Just 55, he had 11 Irish caps. He notably scored a try for Ireland against New Zealand in the World Rugby World Cup in 1995. Now it was a match they went on to lose handsomely. But he, he came out of scoring the try and gave two fingers to the all-black Sean Fitzpatrick, which kind of was a silly thing to do. But at the same time, you score a goal or a try rather against the all-blacks, people are going to talk about you for the rest of your career. He was a clever fella as well. He taught economics and politics before becoming a professional sportsman. But his death had been announced at the age of 55. Gary Halpin. 1857-15996. The number to call the text to WhatsApp 083 396 9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. I'm looking for your thoughts. Uh, I mentioned it earlier on. There's a debate has started in Britain at the moment now about vaccine passports and wanting to be or needing to be able to prove that you have been vaccinated in order to go on holidays because I think Greek government have already said now that when they reopen their tourism, this summer, you'll have to be vaccinated to be allowed into Greece for a holiday. And I'm hearing rumours from the Canary Islands that they too will do that from 2022 at the very earliest, or the latest rather. They'll want people to be vaccinated before they can get in to Canary Islands. In Britain, it's going maybe a step further because Boris Johnson is suggesting, it's not been said, not been set in stone, that perhaps to go to a football match or go to a concert or go to any kind of a big event, you may have to be able to show that you are vaccinated. In the initial stages, at least, where they try to bring the whole thing under control. Uh, That's where we may be headed. And I want to know what you're thinking about that uh, between now and 12. But first of all, we've talked on the programme time and time again, and possibly we should talk some more, about taking joy from simple things to get us through the lockdown. And yesterday morning I had a lovely chat with Francis McCarthy 
at Blackrock Castle Observatory about the something that the, the, the thing that is giving me joy these mornings as they get brighter. And with the weather forecast for the next few days now is nice. We'll have some lovely mornings, hopefully. And I take great joy from that. I also take great joy from music and, and from simple indulgence in music. Claude Finn has a great piece in The Examiner today about staring at the clouds. Well, that's how it starts, but she moves on to, again, taking joy from simple things to get us through these difficult days. Uh, you, you start, Claude, by telling us about a woman you saw recently lying on the grass on a nice sunny day, and you went over to ask her was she all right. She was grand. She was staring at the clouds. Good morning. She was. Good morning, PJ. She waved me away, and she pointed skyward, and I got it straight away. She was looking at the clouds. And I suppose in normal times, if we if they will ever return again, that would seem like a very odd thing to do. But I completely understood what she was doing, looking into the heavens mm. to get some relief from the claustrophobia on Earth, you know. And, um, you know, that's, I, you know, I, I hear what you're saying about the mornings. I find the, the old stretch in the evenings is giving us um, great hope at the moment. Mm. And it, it didn't surprise me then that um, I don't know if you follow a daily cloud on Twitter or no. Instagram. No, tell me. Oh, this is a lovely account. Um, so I would be a cloud gazer. And this woman obviously was a cloud gazer. But it is a thing. There is a Dublin illustrator um, who was out of work or found himself at a loose end in lockdown. And in the last one, he took a picture of a cloud. And he's a doodler. He has a thing. There's a term for it called paroidolia which means that he sees faces in inanimate objects. And he sees the most incredible things in the clouds. And he puts a few skillful pen strokes on them. And he posts, oh, Tyrannosaurus Rex, and another day today is a little snail. Or you might have a a scene from homeschooling week 308 in the clouds. And he posts these every day. There's a lovely one on your your article, actually. Is that one of his, the cat? It is, the cat. Uh, a weary cat and uh, he sent me that one and I thought it was a perfect face for how we're feeling at the moment because people are sick of it. They really are. I This week in particular, people are just so downcast yeah. and I think it's really important to speak about that and to speak about, I suppose, the, the fragility of, of mental health and to rely on... Um, the human creativity and the little things that can get us through. And I found that great. Um, and I have a very good friend who's, who said to me, you really need to find the sweet spot in every hour. Mm-hmm. And first of all, I said, this is great. I'll have a cup of tea and a jammy dodger, you know. <laughs> but that's not what she meant, you know. It's not so much the COVID stone now, but the COVID stone and a half, or the COVID two stone. <laughs> But what she meant, this is a lovely woman, she she, she teaches med- meditation, Kate Fitzpatrick in the stone, and she meant that every hour, just take even a minute to uh, even breathe or look out the window mm. or just take stock of some good thing that is happening in your life or on the walk to the shop, you know. And I found it's those tiny little, the joy of small things yeah. that is taking me through because it, it is a very difficult time. Yeah, I, I, I like that expression. That I, I was saying the joy of simple things. Take the joy of yeah. small things. And it, it occurred to me as you were speaking there, a little thought I had, again, to do with mornings. 
is something I absolutely love to do when the mornings improve and brighten up enough to do it is I love to take my first coffee of the morning out the back and sit on my deck on a chair on the deck before I come into work and I just cannot wait for the first morning I can do that and maybe I have to watch the dog taking a wee in the garden because that's what he but yeah the simple simple things that will get us through these tough days ahead it could be I was walking past my neighbours and he has a lupin. There shouldn't be lupins at this time of the year at all. And I said, you have a lupin? He said, that lupin has been there for months. And every time I pass it, I see this lupin. I said, still hanging in. The resilience of the lupin is getting me through, you know. And I live in the middle of a city. I live in Dublin, you know, but I go for a walk in a park. And most days I will see a fox or a squirrel. And Fabulous. that gives me... A disproport- I get a disproportionate kick out of that, you know. Yeah. And I think one thing is, whatever we think about the government or what's happening, is I think what's really come out of this pandemic is the resilience of ordinary people and how they have done various things, like the Daily Cloud. And other people have posted things that are getting them through. As you said yourself, music um, helps you get through. Yeah. Um, a thing I've been doing is I have a great interest in history and every day I will post about a different woman in history on mm-hmm. Twitter or Instagram. So if anybody's interested and I found myself time traveling and yes, today's woman now is Violet Gibson and she was a Dublin woman who attempted to assassinate uh, Mussolini. I read, I read about yeah. her. Yeah. So, you know, and that's, the Dublin City Council are thinking of, of erecting a plaque to her as, you know, an early anti-fascist. And as often happened in these cases, the poor woman was, she spent the rest of her life in an asylum. Um, I think there is a documentary to her. But I get lost in that story, you know, for an hour and put it out and people will will react. Um, there was another lovely thing too. It's a, a Kerry woman recently now. She is posting Irish words for uh, to do with the ocean and one of them I'm ashamed to say I, I can't think of the Irish word but it is a word for a sea urchin which mm. is sea hot hedgehog and I thought that was very nice yeah. and somebody else posted then that um, the word for jellyfish in Irish is seal snot and I laughed at that it's what Claudia? it's seal snot sea snot yeah <laughs> <laughs> that is fantastic <laughs> yeah I'm sorry, but you've just given me a moment of pure joy. There you go, you see? And I'll, I'll have to look up what, how you say that in Irish, but that took me to two hours of yesterday. Oh, brilliant. Oh, yeah. brilliant. Yeah. Brilliant. That's the sweet spot in my hour. You just told there me something go. that I will see for the rest of the day. Cloda, <laughs> lovely. And, we, and the, more we, the more we get through this and the more we push our way through this, it, the joy of small things, as you've said it, will get us there. Yeah. It will get us there. And everybody, you know, reach out to each other, you know, and really, um, oh, just try to see the good and the bad, if you like. All right. Good to talk to you, Clodagh. Thanks very much, Clodagh Finn, uh, from the Irish Examiner. Uh, Yeah, I mentioned music and a shameless plug. And I know that we've got loads of different streams and hit mixes and fit mixes and all of that. But I have my own little thing going and have been had it going since the last lockdown when I started it. Um, and I started to build on it. And last night, just a break from Michal Martin and a break from everybody else and a break before I watched Primetime to further add 
<laughs> to my depression. I took a break and I brought my little Spotify playlist, which isn't very little anymore. It's called PJ Coogan's Glory Days. You'll find it on Spotify. I brought it over 3,000 songs and I'm so happy. I'm so happy. Uh, it'll run now for nearly a week and a half without a repeat for you if you stick it on shuffle. And you'll enjoy it. Tunes that have just given me a buzz uh, over all my years on the radio and DJing and all that. So there's a shameless plug now. Go find it on Spotify, PJ Coogan's Glory Days. 1850 715 Vaccines, vaccine passports, vaccine permits. They could be the way to go. That's next. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With Lehan Motors, leading the way for Toyota hybrids. The place to order your 211 Toyota. See lehanmotors.ie. Oldies and Irish on Cork's 96FM is the big Sunday show on your radio. Turn it up and take it easy with the best music mix for your Sunday morning. Sunday morning. Welcome along to the programme. Lovely to be with you on a Sunday morning. Oldies and Irish with Derry O'Callaghan. Sundays, 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. With Hidden Hearing, tuning you in so you don't miss a thing. And we've been doing it for over 30 years. Hiddenhearing.ie. Cork's 96 FM. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083 396 9696. On Cork's 96 FM. Yeah, uh, the, the Irish word for jellyfish is smuggle rowan. Smuggle rowan. And it translates literally as cease not. Thank you for that. <laughs> making my day Claude 1850-715-996 now I happened to be listening to a discussion early this morning about the situation in Britain where Boris has brought forward this plan and he has dates in his plan and he has said very clearly that those dates are dependent on the success of the vaccine programme so he hasn't given out dates willy nilly they're dependent on the rollout of the vaccine programme. And I think without any dates here, we know too that what happens for us over the next couple of months will depend on the success of the vaccine programme. Let us go through again what Michal Martin said last night about the vaccine programme. By the end of March, we will have administered 1.25 million doses. Then, depending on vaccines arriving as scheduled, we will administer, on average, more than 1 million doses per month during April, May and June. What that means in practical terms is that by the end of April, up to 40% of people over 18 years of age will have had their first dose. By the end of May, up to 64% will have had their first dose. And by the end of June, up to 82% of adults who can be vaccinated will have received at least one dose and 55% to 60% will be fully vaccinated. Which should come as great news to anybody who wants their vaccine. And I've said before, which arm is the only question I have and when can I take up my shirt and have my vaccine? The discussion in the UK is that when they have the vaccine programme in place, that they may well ask people to prove that they have their vaccine if they want to travel. I know that the Greek government have said to the UK, well, lads, you'd be welcome to come back for holidays this summer. We've missed you and we'd love to have you back, but you'll have to prove that you've been vaccinated before we let you in. 
and I'm hearing rumours on some forums I'm involved in that by next summer at the latest, the Canary Islands and possibly the Balearic Islands of Spain will also require you to be able to show that you've been vaccinated before you'll be allowed in for a summer holiday. And in Britain, they're bringing it to a more domestic level where Boris, he hasn't said it now, let's be clear here, but there's a suggestion that you may require to show proof of vaccination to go, for example, to an FA Cup final in Wembley where there's a huge crowd. They'll want that crowd to have been vaccinated, for the most part anyway. You have to show that you can, that you were vaccinated. And they're talking about vaccine passports and vaccine cards and an app on your phone that will show that you have been vaccinated. Some people are happy with it. Some people are not. John, you reckon, or you're asking the question, whatever about happening in the UK, is this what the Patriots died for? Good morning. Good morning, sir. Thanks for highlighting this, because look, uh, there are a cohort of people out there. Not that they're anti-vaxxers. There's at least six in my group now. And they're not just trying to be downright awkward, Peter. They get the flu injection each summer, them, including myself, right? So we're not anti-vaxxers. But for a myriad of reasons, some for religious reasons, some for ethical reasons, some they just don't trust the vaccine because they think it's fast-tracked. Now, the last time I looked, people, as a sovereign or a citizen, you had that right, and it's your bodily autonomy, right? Mm. No. Uh, just because, you know, if, if, if we'll say X amount, whatever percentage, get vaccinated. If you're vaccinated, like, I should be no threat to you, you should be no threat to me. Now, the whole idea of that if you have to carry a passport, right, we'll say that you won't be allowed to leave the country. No, the Canary Islands, last time I looked like, I mean, um, they're owned by Spain, right? It's I'm just using it as an example because yeah. we know the Greek yeah. government have said it, that they will yeah. want holidaymakers to be able to show well, they were vaccinated. All, all, all those are member, members of the EU. And my passport allows me to travel right within the EU. Anyone from Poland, anyone from Greece, anyone from anywhere that's in the EU can come here to Ireland and we can go there, right? Mm. Now, if it comes down to the fact that I can't travel anymore international travel, we'll deal with that first. That makes me a second-class citizen. If you didn't stretch it out like what Boris is saying, and Michal Martin, somebody said to me recently there, and he kind of says an off-the-cuff remark, would you need it to go to the pub? And he said, uh, we'll see. No, the thing is, if you bring it down to domestic levels, Peter... Deal with the international first, and we go about domestic, because I think domestic is a bit, domestic is a bit up in the air, they don't really know what they're going to do there. But deal with the international thing. For example, John, you, I'm sure you've heard of yellow fever. I have indeed. Yes, there are yeah. many, many parts of the world to which you cannot go unless you can show proof of a yellow fever vaccination. Yeah. You okay well, with that? If you go to uh, Indian places like that and other places, I mean, you have to get your inoculations and all that before you go to vaccine. This would be right? just another one then. Yeah, yeah, but, but, uh, yeah, but it, it's something new. I mean, all those other ones have been established for years. It's just that people have the right for their bodily tannery, if they just don't trust this vaccine, if they think it's just been fast-tracked too quickly and don't long the road, they could... No, I'm going to preface this article by saying if you are of an age and you want to get your vaccine, off you go. If you have any underlying problems, off you go. I'm just addressing this morning the people out there, for whatever reason, that they just don't want to avail of the vaccine. Are we then going to become, in a sovereign, as a sovereign or a citizen, are we then going to become second-class citizens that we can travel abroad, or maybe if you stretch it out, that we can travel in our own country? Can, I, can I quote to you what a professor 
uh, of epidemiology, Professor Mike Toole uh, in Melbourne, Australia, said to me on this programme yesterday when I put it to him. Now, we were talking in the context of mandatory quarantine, but I put it to him that some people would look at mandatory quarantine and say, that's uh, an imposition on my civil liberties or an imposition on my human rights. To which his response was, we are more interested in the human rights and the civil liberties of the majority of the population. And if you want to get into Australia, you comply. If you want to travel out of Ireland or into Spain or into Greece, then you need a vaccine for the greater good. But you see, what does that make, uh, we said, the likes of me and others out there? And we, we, like, as I said, my group, there's about half a dozen, right? No, I guarantee you, there's people listening this morning out there, and there's another half a dozen in their group, and another really? half a dozen yeah. right around the country, right? What I want to, 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 to get out there is the fact is, are we then going to be some kind of second-class citizen? This is not what Tom Barry stood for in Kilmichael, like the lads in 1916, for John O'Donovan and all the other people out there. Had then, as a sovereign or a citizen, overnight, I go to a second-class citizen. I'm sorry, like, but I'm not having that. But do you know what smallpox is? Of course we do, yeah. yeah. Do you know what uh, polio is? Of course you do. Right? Yep. Do you know how they've gotten rid of smallpox and they're damn near to getting rid of polio? Because yeah, for a while you couldn't uh, go to certain places without a vaccination. I, I, as I said, I'm not an anti-vaxxer and a lot of the group that, that's, would, that's not going to take within my group are not anti-vaxxers. Or what you've just listed out there all the different diseases and ailments, whatever, right? They're well-established vaccines for them. All people are saying is that, look, at the moment, maybe yeah. someone change their mind, they're just sceptical, they just don't trust it, but they should have that bodily autonomy of a choice not to take it, and therefore by doing that, not to be classed as a second-class citizen. Mm. No one's classing him as a second-class citizen. But you will be if you want to be allowed to go to the pub, but you can't go to a match, but you can't go no, to a no, let's, let's deal with the domestic thing. It would be a lot more difficult to enforce it. Uh, to say that you have to have a, a proof of vaccination to, for example, go to an All-Ireland final. I can't ever see that happening, can you? Well, I will, well if, they, if they do bring it in for the domestic side of it, uh, if you turn up, if you haven't got it in your phone or some form of, uh, of identification that you ha- have got a vaccination, basically you won't be loaded in. How would no, you feel about having to take a test before you went to a match? I have no, no problem with that. I mean, if they were, if they were giving a temperature test, I have no problem with that. But as regards the vaccine, it's a different ballgame. You're injecting something into your body, right? And if people have a worry about that, PJ, I think they have to... Well, what are your worries, John? My worries are because, look, and the people, as I said, that I've spoken to, like there's at least half a dozen are repeating in my group, they just believe that it was fast-tracked very quickly and they're just afraid of the side effects. Maybe 10 years, maybe 15 years down the road, we don't know. Hopefully not, but they, ha- they have that right to be concerned. Mm. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, you see, the science is not new. This is the point that everyone said. Everyone has to accept. The science has been there. This is just the first vaccine using that science. But they're very confident of the science. But you see, Peter, you said you take it in both arms. No, oh, right? yeah, and the, so in if, the left so cheek and the backside as well if I have to. If, yeah. if I drop into to, the... If I'm loading, to, I know where you drink, and that's not a trace. I mean, I know where you drink. <laughs> Nowhere at the moment, except me backyard. I know, but... You're not getting in there. If, 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 if Johnny rocks up like to PJ, and PJ's up at the bar, and they come up and say, PJ, what are you drinking? Like, if PJ has been vaccinated and one arm of both arms, right... Like, I'm not set to you, then you should be not set to me. That's so a valid point, John, and I have to yeah. give it to you. I'll have yeah, to grant yeah. you. We've had our fights, 
Yeah. But I have to grant you that one. If I've been vaccinated and you haven't, then you're no threat to me. No, no, I couldn't possibly be, yeah. yeah. That's the point I'm making, yeah. So you don't think... Let take the domestic thing aside. Supposing, supposing they said that in in order to get into Ireland for your holidays, the Yanks, the British, whoever comes, that they'll have to have proof of a vaccine. How would you feel about that for them? Well, it's the same for everybody. It should be bodily autonomy, body choice. I mean, if you want to do your temperature checks by all means at the airports, and if something turns up, then well, just question marks. Then, but as regards like forcing vaccines on people, I'm sorry, like you have the right of bodily autonomy, and you cannot be made a second class citizen. Okay. John, leave it there. Thank you. 1850-715-996. A lot of people wanted me to challenge John on bodily autonomy and some of our previous contributions, but I'm not going there. I don't want to open that debate today. I want to have this one, if you're willing to do it with me. Um, the idea that you might not... And I'm picking Greece because they've actually said it, but let's take the Canary Islands or take the anywhere. Take, take getting into this country... That, for example, you might have somebody in the other, in another part of the world, and they want to come home for Christmas. Hopefully, this Christmas coming, we'll be able to do it. They want to come home for Christmas. How would you feel if the government said, anybody coming home for Christmas needs to have a vaccine? Or anybody coming to visit us for a holiday, and God knows we'd love to have the Americans back the Welsh, the English. We want tourists back because we're a tourist nation. How would you feel if everybody coming in to Ireland as a tourist, a visitor, had to show that they needed to be vaccinated, that they had been vaccinated? How would you feel if you wanted to go to, back to, I don't know, you want to go to Santa Panza next summer? I love it. I love Santa Panza. But you want to go to Santa Panza next summer? Would you be willing to show at the airport in Palma that you'd had a vaccine in order to get in. 1850 715 And if not, do you think that this... <laughs> do you agree with John? <laughs> Is this what Tom, Tom Barry stood for? Here's an interesting one. I was inside a shop and I was looking for primroses that my friend bought, but the manager said they weren't available over COVID restriction. I said I knew someone had bought them, and he replied they'd been available, but someone had then reported them to the guards. Wow, what kind of person does that? 1850 did feel very sorry for the flower shops, because their Valentine's Day was banjaxed, and their Mother's Day is going to be banjaxed, because of uh, the restrictions on the sale of flowers. And you'd, you'd have to feel for the owners of a flower shop, Anyone at all who's looking at Mother's Day coming up, knowing that there'll be Tesco's will have loads of flowers and lots of the other chain stores will have flowers. Lidl and Aldi will all have flowers, but their job is flowers and they won't be able to open for Mother's Day. 1850-715-996. This was a garden centre, we think. Uh, We have the name of it, but we don't want to use it at the moment. For certain reasons, thank you. 1850-715-996. More comments on vaccines, but I'll get to them shortly. Next, um, a journalist who 
has again like t- talking to Cloda earlier on there about finding joy in simple things joy in small things coming up next a journalist who really first of all misses travel big time and has been spending an awful lot of time at home on his own up to recently because his sister came to live with him recently for a while but he started posting pictures of first of all his evening drink when he was out in the garden and then his dinner and he's become a massive talking point on Twitter what will Philip Nolan put up as his dinner on any given day and I'll ask him in a minute about where he learned to cook but I wanted to talk to him about where the idea came from because I think Philip if I'm right joining me from County Wexford it, it, it did start with you putting up a picture of an evening drink as you sat at the back Yes, it did, because we had fantastic weather, PJ, as you remember, at the start of the uh, the first lockdown last year. And I was out in the garden one day, and I think it was like a, a limoncello cocktail of some description. <laughs> but because it was kind of yellow and fizzy and it was sunny, um, I think people just kind of responded to it. And then one day I just put up a photograph of a dinner, and it just kind of took off from there, really, I guess. You've over 200 dishes now that you take a picture of, always in the same place. Always in the same place. I think it's important. I, I, I don't think, like, I, I, I don't post the food as such. I post the table uh, because I think that the table is something that's, you know, intrinsic to Irish life, effectively. I mean, we all gravitate to the kitchen rather than the, the living room or the dining room. And so for me, it has always been about the fact that something I didn't do beforehand, if I'm being honest, is I set the table every night and, and make a ritual of it for myself, just to keep myself sane, to be honest with you. But I think that, you know, the, the table is important. And the fact that I'm at it by myself um, is unusual because in the, in the real world, I would have people around, obviously, for dinner from time mm. to time. Um, and so it's become a thing for me that the empty place, I think, represents everybody else who's who's by themselves. You, you do live alone a lot, don't you? Or, uh, I do, yeah, no, yeah. I do all the time. I mean, yeah. uh, just recently, as you said earlier, uh, my sister came down. She had surgery in January, and she came down here to recuperate. And when we realized that lockdown was going to go on for a long time, we just kind of thought, well, why not just stay? So she's here for the duration. But yes, I do live alone, yeah. Yeah. And were you required in the very start of this, were you staying in more than the rest of us? Yes, I was, because I also have type 2 diabetes, so uh, not that you'd know it from my dinners. But, <laughs> but now I, I, I imposed lockdown on myself before it was even imposed by the government, as it were. I mean, on the 12th of March, I'll be a full year in effectively in kind of semi-lockdown. But uh, for three months, I never really left the house. I, I did all my shopping remotely online, and my local supermarket here um, did it for me. And I literally drove down, opened the boot remotely, and they put it in, and I drove away. Um, so, I, yeah, I, I wasn't out for three months last year. Yeah. You might live alone, but that sounds lonely. No, do you know something? I'm never lonely. It's kind of I mean, I'm quite resilient in many ways, and also I think I had the advantage that I've worked from home for almost 17 years now. Anyway, yeah. Um, so that wasn't a huge thing. But what I have missed, obviously, is, is travel. You know, because that, yeah. that was a big part of my life before. Well, and I'll get to that in a minute because you you love to travel and and talk to me about about the cooking. Where did you learn to cook? Because the stuff that you do. Yeah, it's funny. I mean, I wrote a piece about this in the Daily Mail a couple of weeks back. Um, I used to meet, uh, my father was orphaned by TB, so pandemics and epidemics are not an unusual occurrence in our family, sadly. And he was raised by his granny and and an aunt who never married. And she, in turn, 
the, the, the aunt became effectively our grandmother and I used to meet her on Saturday afternoons in Dunleary and wander around the shops and the last stop always was Quinsworth where she always bought me two grand beef, beef burgers if people know them mm. and I used to go home and just cook them myself and I, but when I realised that I could do that I kind of thought well maybe I can do more and so literally I've been cooking um, for myself for probably 45 years at least yeah, yeah. Mm. And co- cooking dishes of the world you're adventurous enough Yes, and I think that also comes, and we will get on to the travel, but I think that comes from that insofar as I, my, my job has taken me all over the world. Uh, I mean, I've been to whatever, I think 74 countries. And the one thing I love about going to a new country is, is trying the food. And that can be anything from, you know, street food in Asia to Michelin star restaurants in France. And the one thing I, I am is a bit of a magpie. If I have something out that I like, uh, at the very least, I come home and see if I can replicate it in any shape, sense or form. And and I think that a lot of that comes down with experience comes confidence. And, you know, recipes are all very well and good, but you can always substitute, you can change, you can put your own stamp on any food. I think people sometimes are a little bit scared that if they don't have, you know, fresh basil, they can't make the dish. Of course they can, you know. Mm. Did you expect the reaction you've had to the pictures? <laughs> Honestly, no, I didn't. I mean, if you had told me this day last year, that I probably would be better known on Twitter now for food than I am for my actual journalism work, I would have laughed at you because that was never the intention. But it just seems to have brought some sort of, um, in a sense, I think to some people, it's brought comfort, especially other people who live alone, um, that we all kind of feel that at night when we sit down, there's somebody else with us at the table. Yeah, the living alone, and I think especially, and I don't wish to be sexist, men living alone. There are a lot of men live alone around the country, and, and we would be concerned for their mental health, I guess, from, from loneliness. And that's why I asked you the question about loneliness earlier on. Uh, you know, it's, 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 it's tough for someone who's been alone. Yes, it is in many cases. And I think I feel particularly sorry for men who, you know, whose main social outlet was something like the pub or the men's shed or whatever, that those things are not available to them at the moment. But equally, I think that, um, I think sometimes men are terrified of, of the idea of, cooking anything that sounds even remotely complicated and that always makes me laugh because you know if you, if you give a man a, a flat pack box from Ikea uh, and the instructions he'll happily sit there for two or three hours and put the whole thing together but if you mention the word recipe there's sometimes there's a kind of a mild panic and I often think that maybe we should just delete the word recipe and say to you know a man who lives alone who doesn't cook look here's the manual for your dinner and on that basis I think it would probably make an awful lot more sense. Something that has come up and you've said time and time again it isn't going to happen. I might ask you why there's a book in this Philip, the pictures, the recipes the, the, the manual if you want there's a book in it. Why are you reluctant? Well there is but that said and done it, 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 it's a, a hugely time consuming project uh, to do a, a cookbook and also in a sense um, I'm not scientific about it like I literally would have to make everything again uh, to give people an accurate recipe. Because it's in your head. Because I just chuck stuff in the pan. You know, as I've always said, it's a pinch of this and a glug of that. Um, and and uh, it would be exhausting. But also, they're incredibly expensive to produce because, you know, people want colour photographs on yeah. every page. And, you know, I did, 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 there are plenty of people there already, the Clona McKenna's and the Nevin Maguire's. They all have it, you know, down down mm. pat, um, and it would be a big undertaking for and me. It's so. just a hobby for you, anyway, isn't it? It is. Yeah, I mean, I think in many ways, also, it would kind of take the joy out of it for me if I yeah. thought it was a chore, um, which it's not because I love it. Mm. I'm, I'm jealous of you. You have things like Estrella Galicia in your drinks cabinet. 
Yeah, but that's actually full enough. That that's actually widely available now. It wasn't always, um, but it is now. So yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I like to I like to team food with you know a good wine or a nice beer or whatever, um, and whatever gets you through at this stage, really, isn't it? Yes, it is. Now, talking about travel, and like you say, you've been to 70-odd countries. Travel is a huge part of your life. You must miss it desperately. I do, hugely. I mean, you know, uh, on whatever it is, on Sunday, I think, I will have spent my first full year in Ireland ever um, because I first went abroad when I was six months old and have been away, you know, many, many hundreds of times since. Uh, so, yeah, I miss it hugely um, and I'd love to get back to it. And I missed out on big stuff last year. My sister lives in the UK and because friends there and friends here uh, wanted to be at her 60th birthday party, uh, we decided we would have it in Croatia, which we did for her 50th as well because everybody could just get there. And so I didn't get to it. She did because the UK were allowed to travel at the time. So, yeah, I've missed all that. And, and I also write about cars Mm. And, you know, car launches are usually held in, in European locations as well. So I would normally be away maybe 20, 25 times a year. Wow. Uh, so coming from that to zero is uh, has, has hurt. There's no doubt about it. Yeah, yeah. On that very, very subject, and just discussing it here, and you probably have heard the debate in the UK now, that it may be a thing that to go to many countries uh, in the near to not so distant future, you will have to show a vaccination for COVID-19. You okay with that? Yes, I am. Yeah, I heard your previous caller and I, I fundamentally disagree with the idea of being a second-class citizen if you don't. I mean, every day of our lives we're asked to provide proof that we can or can't do things. We need licenses to drive, we need licenses to have dogs, we need licenses for television. And for me, if, if it helps the world open up, and you need to show proof that you've been vaccinated, so much the better. I mean, I have my World Health Organization vaccine passport. Anyway, I mean, it shows that I've been vaccinated against yellow fever, polio, hepatitis A, all the things that you might need to be uh, able to prove when you go to various countries that demand it. So I see absolutely no issue with that whatsoever. If somebody says to me, can you prove you've been vaccinated against COVID, I will happily do it, no problem. What's for dinner tonight, Philip? I think it'll be something to do with chicken, <laughs> but I haven't quite decided. <laughs> it's, a good, it's a good start. <laughs> thanks ever so much, and really, I'm really enjoying it. Really thanks enjoying it, and thank you, thank you very much, uh, Philip Nolan. Uh, follow, follow him on Twitter, uh, and, and his pictures of tonight's dinner. You'll be watering. The mouth will be watering with you. Tom says that man is making me hungry. My favourite is Weiner Schnitzel, a very thin, breaded, and pan-fried cutlet veal. It's one of the best-known specialties of Viennese cuisine and is one of the national dishes of Austria. I have eaten it, Tom. It is gorgeous. Absolutely gorgeous. 1850-715-996. On the vaccine passport, I'm with PJ. Which arm? Both, if necessary. Passports shown, if required, both incoming and outgoing. That's from Tony down at the Crawford Art Gallery. Morning to everyone at the gallery. The black market will be thriving. We heard that one. Doesn't that bloke, John, realise the virus doesn't care about your rights or your faith or your anything? Yeah, I guess so. I feel that before I take a vaccine, I would have to go through a full medical to see if I'd be likely to suffer side effects. And I would want it in writing that I'd be compensated if I do suffer side effects. Okay, up to you. With all the talk of so many being vaccinated by June, I think we're losing the idea. This is important. I like this. I think we're losing the idea that we're not immune immediately after the first dose. While there is hope that one dose can be very effective, it still takes 20 to 40 days for the immunity from the first dose to build up. I think about three weeks 
in the Pfizer, in case of Pfizer, about three weeks for your immunity to build up to the first dose level, and then you get your second one, and it really ramps it up. Uh, that applies with the second dose. So we're really looking at sometime in mid-August for immunity to kick in. And for a lot of people, that'll be just their first dose. The immunity for the second dose is another 20 to 40 days after the second. I think it's important people are reminded of this because there are cases around the world of people doing risky things like not wearing masks or meeting in groups after their first vaccine dose. And I'd like to think, and I'm hoping that they are, I'd like to think that people going for their vaccines at the moment are being reminded of that. That, look, you get your first jab today and this isn't really effective in your body for a period of a couple of weeks and isn't most effective when you get your second dose. So I I hope, and I trust they are, I trust that doctors like Nick Flynn and John Sheehan and other people working in vaccination centres are saying to people, look, there's your first jab, bang, good. Now, remember that, first of all, that has no effect for a period of a couple of weeks until your body starts to react to it. And then after your second one, before you are uh, properly and fully immune. So it's worth thinking about that. 1850-715-996, home of the year. I tend to watch it at the weekend on the player uh, with the Queen Bee. But we had another Cork House uh, last night. Didn't quite make the final, but went down well. Rachel Hobbs, good morning. Good morning, how are you? Good, good, good. You have an unusual house. The, the indoor trampoline. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it is, yeah, it's it's basically like catamaran net. Um, so we, it's in the mezzanine in the landing space, which is um, like a two-story space. And my, I was having bad visions of my small people going up and over, you know, like a, a regular banister there. And I was like, okay, what can we do here to... To make it, I suppose, safer, in my opinion, for us, and that's that's what we came up with. So it didn't, it's brilliant. It's it's added kind of extra floor space to the landing, so we have a, a kind of an extra room now rather than a, so a walkthrough. Space. It developed from from a safety provision to a play space. Yeah, I yeah, that's, I, it started. That was the, the concept to for me to find a solution that I didn't want the half banister because I I just couldn't be dealing with them going up and over. Um yeah and it's really it's and I suppose it's not a trampoline. It's um like a catamaran net, you know, that okay. you would kinda of lie on and lounge on. Cool. Yeah. Where where's the house? It's Balancolic is the address, but it's um it's with the the countryside of Balancolic rather than the, the city side. Yeah. You were pleased with the comments, I think? Oh yeah, it was lovely. I mean it was all really positive and to hear like Susie is a is a very good interior designer, you know. So it's nice to hear from from a respected designer that yeah. um, that they like what they see as well. Yeah, interesting experience having the house filmed, isn't it? Um, there was, you you yeah. had to abandon ship and and trust <laughs> trust to the gods. Like yeah, yeah. as I said last week to somebody else, like it must be a nightmare getting ready. Oh, it's like I suppose there's, not, there's nothing like a deadline to get things done, and that was one of the one of the ways we approached it. It was brilliant, but it was beyond all hands on deck um, and then yeah walking away hoping hoping they like what they see you know but I, like it's all opinions then at the end of the day too and you don't so. actually meet them no? no not at all I mean it's um, the same as Dave mentioned last week we do have cameras um, as well so you, you could have a little sneak peek um, but you can't hear what they're saying or know any of that at all so interesting alright yeah. and I'm delighted I look forward to watching it I can't wait to see this but uh, you, you were happy even though you didn't get through to the final 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it was a lovely experience, and it's um, it's it's a good show. I mean, yeah. it's a feel good show, and every I mean, the buzz and excitement from people in the lead up to it and around it and everything is great and it, it's, it's the year that's in it as well nobody yeah. had anywhere else it's important else that we have so. shows like that to look at it, 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 it yeah. really is Rachel I'm going to leave it there thank you very much Rachel Hobbs uh, another Cork participant in Home of the Year it'll be on the player that's it the programme edited by Terry Brennan produced and researched by Fergal Barry stay safe and we'll see you in the morning just after nine Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.